get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ground ball, and how about a little broken bat bingle to score two, seven, five. Pirates are back in it. Line drive, base hit in the left center field. This is going to tie the game. Wilmer Defoe, D-I-F-O. The Pirates have come storming back against the Cardinals. And he rips this into left center field. Gregory Polanco is going to give the Bucks the lead. Stays in play. Here comes Defoe. He will score. What an inning and what a moment for El Cafe. And so Sugo lines one to deep right center field. And clear the deck with a cannonball. Soup, soup, Sugio. I hate that home run call so much. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. That's my boy Joe Block, man. He was getting pumped up last night. Yeah, good for him. I, he, his home run call stinks. Uh, with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Pittsburgh Pirates TV network. All right. That was rough. That all of those highlights somehow came in one inning, and all of them came before the Cardinals recorded an out in said inning. It was historically bad. It was when I whiplash, read, wasn't it? When I read last night that it was something that even the great Rick Hummel had never seen before, <laughs> I knew that this was on another level. So the Pirates sent eight guys up to the plate before the Cardinals recorded their first out last night in the seventh inning. They scored eight runs on eight hits. They ended up leading after that inning 11 to seven in total last night. The, the Pirates finished with 17 hits. Uh, it was the first time this season that a team scored eight runs before recording an out in any inning that happened last night against the Cardinals. Um, it was the first time that the Pirates in the last 50 years came back from at least six runs to beat the Cardinals. Not what you're looking for, Saxy, when you're trying to get back into this playoff race. We talked all day yesterday about how the Cardinals needed to take four out of four at least against this Pirates team. Uh, not the way you were hoping to start this road trip, to say the least. I think the phrase that pops to mind for me is not ideal. You know, not an ideal outcome. Um, what's interesting about it, like, all right, so 
And Danny Mac brought this up on, on the broadcast, and, he, and, and Mike Schilt actually identified it afterwards that there was a possibility that, you know, he was somehow tipping what, what, what was coming, whether his position of his glove or whatever. If that was a possibility, why do you leave him in for, you know, those last two guys, the Gregory Polanco double and the home run from Tsutsugo? I know those guys have struggled mightily against sure. the left-handed pitcher. But a thing to point out is, and this surprised me a little bit. Genesis Cabrera has been better against uh, a right-handed pitcher or hitters than left-handed hitters. Reverse splits. He has a reverse bit. splits, mm-hmm. right? And so that's not really an explanation that sort of satisfies you. And so you say, you know, in Gallegos was very fresh. I think the problem there, you hadn't gotten an out in the inning, and they didn't want Gallegos to go too. But for me, that was the baseball game right there, and I bring in my best reliever to put out the fire. That that's what I would have done. Now. Most likely, the guy at second scores because there was nobody out. But then, that then you go into the bo- you go into the top of the eighth inning, down eight seven instead of eleven seven. That's that's a whole different ball game potentially. It is. You might still have lost because this right. offense we know goes into a shell for innings at a time, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened yes. last night. There is some blame to go to the offensive side of things as well, and we'll talk about that coming up here in about five minutes or so. But. Let's get into what you're talking about here with Mike Schilt, the decision not to pull Hennessy Cabrera. Let's start with this. I want to hear from Mike Schilt first, and then we can react on the other side. Was he worried about Hennessy Cabrera potentially tipping pitches? Three of their hits were pitches out of the zone. They got a hit on every single pitch, and this guy's got filthy stuff. So, you know, still give him credit, man. Uh, I don't know if the guy anything or not. Clearly, we'll look at it. We're always on top of it. You know, the human factor of this thing is real. And guys, you know, may fall into something. Okay, so that sounds like a yes. Uh, Mike <laughs> Schilt on if he's ever seen anything like what we, what we witnessed last night in the seventh inning. You know, I saw on the scoreboard first time eight runs to score that an out being recorded. Um, so yeah, I've not I've not seen that. Um, it you know erased a lot of really 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 good things that took place today. So, no. All right, Mike Schilt on why you left Tennessee Cabrera in for so long. And this is really the thing that I'm imagining the vast majority of our listeners, 65780, Comfort Service text line, are wondering. Yeah, he's left in because he's really good. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, look, if you got, if you took everybody out after a couple hits, you'd, you'd never have anybody pitch. Look, I get it. He got hit hard and we got Ponce up. I mean, there was a lot of action in eight pitches. So, you know, the guy's been fantastic for us. And, I mean, fantastic force. I mean, let's 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 erase that. I mean, I understand your question, Commish, but you know, we got him out, and clearly it wasn't his night. But he's been outstanding all year, and you know the fact of the matter also is we've had 12 innings out of our bullpen in the last two days. So, you know, we can't just be running guys out there. And it's interesting. He's right. It did happen really fast. Mm-hmm. I was, I left, so we had an event last night with the station um, in St. Louis. By the time that I left, it was like the fifth inning or so. It was 7-3. You and I had just talked before we left the event. 7-3, and I went, all right, it's over. We got this. I think it was, they were getting ready to go into the top of the sixth at that point. Yes. By the time I got home, it was over, but it was over in a way that the Cardinals (laughs) were going to lose now. I was like, what the hell happened? How did this take place? So... He's right. It did. It did happen very quickly. But, Saxy, do you think he made a mistake by not taking Cabrera out earlier? In my opinion, yes, just because <clears throat> when a guy is getting hit that hard that quickly, it, it even if he's not tipping his pitches, it tells you he doesn't have it, right? 
And they're not at this point of their season where they can afford to let him work it out, work it out out there if it means more base runners. But what I think it really speaks to is just a lack of of trust in anyone other than Cabrera, Alex Reyes, and Gio Gallegos. Now, Gallegos, you probably weren't going to use for two full innings, so keep that in mind. But what I'm trying to say is why not bring him in right there, try to stop it, even if he just pitch, pitches the seventh. Stop the bleeding. Figure something out. out give Ponce the eighth. I'm okay with that. I mean, he pitched well the other day, right? I mean, he can, he can get mm-hmm. through a clean inning. Um, and you had some of their better hitters coming up with, with Polanco. So... Yeah, I, I do. I do think I do re- believe that. And this is with hindsight, but I think it's it's reasonable that it was just two hitters too many. Satsugo and Polanco, he should not have been pitching to, in my opinion. I, I'm with you. I, that, normally, I would say, well, I don't want to turn to Ponce, who's basically their long reliever or the other guy that was available was Junior Fernandez, who's been called mm-hmm. up since the Flaherty injury. Two guys you don't trust. Normally, I don't I wouldn't say, yeah, go to them in a tight game, seventh inning. But when you give up four straight hits and there's a possibility that you're tipping, and I, I think the Cardinals knew that. The, the way Shield kind of said yeah. it, it sounds like they did. So if you know that, I'm with you. I would have gone to the pin. I get you don't trust Ponce, and maybe it does blow up in your face, but at least you try. And I, I just don't know if there was anything Cabrera could have done last night. If they're knowing what you're going to throw, then it becomes really hard for him. So I, I probably would have gone to Ponce. Honestly, I may have gone to Fernandez just because he's got strikeout stuff. Ponce. I just I have less faith in Ponce than I do in Fernandez. Fernandez coming off his first major league win, I probably would have gone to him. In so yeah. many ways, that was symbolic of this Cardinal season. Mm-hmm. In so many ways, where it comes at you fast and it's like, holy cow! How did that mm-hmm. avalanche the way that it did? That was the month of June. Um, the lack of quick adjustments in general. This team was slow to react to the fact that they clearly didn't have the pitching depth that they needed, and that was how they ended up avalanching in the month of June. Uh, You look at the bullpen in general, their lack of faith in other options, not named Cabrera, Gallegos and Reyes. That was a problem last night. It's been a problem all season long for them. Um, All of these different things are what's been an issue for the Cardinals. The lack of tacking on runs. They had seven runs in the third inning and then had one hit the rest of the game. All of this is stuff that has been a problem for them all season long. And then it just showed up in the worst possible way last night against one of the worst possible teams that you could have that show up against in the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I I would say that it's surprising that this took place because it hasn't happened before. But it's not all that surprising that it was allowed to take place. So I, I'm, I tend to be with you guys. He probably should have taken him out a little bit, especially if Mike Shields willing to admit, yeah, it seemed like he was probably tipping pitches. How do you not get that guy out of there for himself in some ways? Like this is going to be a weird thing to say maybe, but Henniscus Cabrera is about to hit arbitration here pretty soon. And his ERA is part of what will be used against him. His ERA jumped up more than a run last night. He was, he went from a two nine five to a four, two six in one night from one bad inning, really from six bad uh, at bats. Basically that's the kind of thing that as a manager, you've almost got to save your pitcher from himself. Mm -hmm. So on the last couple there, once you know, once you see there's a tell and that your guy's getting hit around, I think that's when you have to react but it does signify, like you mentioned, they also just have a lack of trust in any other options that are coming out of that bullpen right now. Yeah, if I could sum up, you know, your whole point in, in one phrase, I would say it is on this roster, a lack of quality depth. Mm-hmm. Um, Genesis Cabrera, by the way, you mentioned his ERA when it soared up a, a, a full run. 
He's a negative war now. He's negative really? point four war. So you're talking about probably your third most trusted reliever at this point. One of only three is below replacement level. What does that speak to? A lack of quality depth in your bullpen. What does the fact that the lineup falls off a cliff after Yadi Molina hits and you've got your choice of Edmundo Sosa, Paul DeYoung, these kind of guys at the bottom of your lineup, it speaks to a lack of quality depth in the lineup. What does losing your ace and not having ready replacements speak to a lack of quality depth in your rotation? So I think overall, if you're kind of looking roster-wise, roster construction, front office, you want to blame the front office, you'd say, why weren't there better players in positions, you know, where you know you're going to need them? Teams don't get through seasons with five starters, with three decent relievers, and with two, you know, excellent hitters in their lineup. It just uh, that's not the way the game's played anymore. That's Mark Saxon. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Benji Molina is going to join the show. I want to ask him about Yachty officially saying he's got one year left in him, and it's going to be here in St. Louis. Is Benji buying it? Does he think this is actually the last year for Yachty or Molina? All we'll ask Benji that coming up in about 15 minutes, and how cool it's going to be if it is his final year to watch the send off here in St. Louis. So Benji Molina in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though. There's a lot of questions that are being asked today about Mike Schilt, about the bullpen, about the pitching in general. Totally fair questions. Let's not forget about the offense because they also deserve some blame for what took place last night. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. More of the guys right now. BK and Ferrario brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. We haven't created a lot of margin for error for ourselves. You know, we don't we don't scratch enough runs consistently to feels like every night, man, we gotta play almost ideally, you know, airtight and we pretty much did today and pitch and defense were great. Lester was tremendous. That was Mike Schilt two days ago talking about the offense and I think it could also be easily easily applicable to yesterday's game if you're somebody that left that game saying ah man this stupid bullpen blue there's some blame to go there Mm -hmm. absolutely not going to disagree with you whatsoever but let's not forget about the offense as well I know they scored seven runs and that's pretty darn good for the Cardinals given what they've done for most of the year but all seven runs came in the first three innings. After the third inning, Saxy, and with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Cardinals had three base runners. They had one hit. They did so against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's unacceptable. Uh, when you're going into a game like this, you need to continue to tack on, especially once you get into the seventh inning and see what took place. The Cardinals in the eighth and ninth inning did nothing offensively. Here's what they did in those innings, Saxy. Molina struck out. Newtbar struck out. Sosa struck out. Bader grounded out. O'Neill struck out. Edmund lined out. Four of the six outs were strikeouts, and then the other two did nothing in particular. That's after they were down by four runs. This is part of the problem for the Cardinals. When you are living on this razor's edge, this incredibly thin margin for error because of the way that your offense is producing and because of how thin your pitching staff is, it's really difficult to stack up wins consistently because something is bound to go wrong. And when it goes wrong, you have a very difficult time overcoming it. And I I mentioned the offense. I mentioned the bullpen. Let's also not forget about the starting pitching. Last night, Miles Michaelis was 
fine for the most part, but he didn't get deep into the game. And so that's another reason why you had to go further into the underbelly of your bullpen. And that's been the issue. This team needs a specific formula. They can only really win one way. The starter goes about six, maybe seven innings. You get to the back end of your bullpen that you trust, and the offense is able to produce four, five, six runs. If you can get all three of those things, you're incredibly likely to win the game. But too often this year, they've had a starter that goes four innings, their bullpen gets shelled in the fifth and sixth innings, and the offense isn't able to produce after the fourth or fifth, and then boom, you lose five to three. And that's the kind of thing that you saw last night. It was a different score, but the outcome was more or less the same. Yeah, briefly on on Michaelis, just to touch on this, I thought early on he was kind of trying to work the inside corner and the umpire wasn't giving him calls. I thought he was hitting it. I thought he was throwing strikes and not getting calls. That, that to me, looked like part of the problem. And he's such an extreme uh, command pitcher. He is not going to give in. If he's not getting the corner, he's still going to try to hit the corner. He's not going to throw one over the middle of the plate. It's just not how he pitches. And rightly so. It would get hammered. Um so I, I do think that was a little bit of a problem for Michaelis. I think he'll probably be okay in the long run. Yeah. But as for the offense, for me, that's what I've been looking at all season. I just think that this is not an era where you can have two or three, even if you think they're great hitters. If you think that Ar- you know Arenado at 30, Goldschmidt at 33 or 34, and O'Neal are, are your star hitters, your, your sluggers, and you think that's enough, it's not. Um Look at the good lineups. They have six, seven, eight, eight hitters. Look at the Yankees who can right now. Mash. It's just not the way the game is played any longer. So to me, that was the the shortcoming is not having that you know depth throughout the lineup. And I guess that speaks to a little bit the kind of we talked about this earlier. The kind of position players they're developing are good players. They're not you know transcendent hitters, right? They're sort of average-ish hitters. And I think that really is the issue. They go too many, there's too many three, four, five inning stretches where nothing happens. It's very emblematic of where the game is, right? No base runners. The Cardinals have a 310 uh, collective on base percentage, mm. 21st in baseball. They're just not getting on base enough. They're not dry. They're, they're in a similar spot slugging. They're not getting on base. They're not slugging. That's how everybody scores now. It's the way the game is played. So you're just not succeeding at the game frankly, is what's happening. So it really is, to me, an offensive problem. And I think Mike Schilt, that was a moment of candor, a moment of honesty where some of his frustration came out. Look, we've been playing with a razor-thin margin for error all season. We can't kick one ball, which is human nature. It's going to happen. You're not going to be perfect. Pitchers aren't going to be perfect. When, how often does a pitcher have a three- or four-run lead, a starting pitcher? Seems incredibly rare to me. Last night was one example, but it didn't yeah. work out. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking of last night, I don't put that much blame on the offense for last night. And I get it. They went through that stretch where they only had the one base runner after the third inning, but you score seven runs. I mean, the pitching can't give up. You can't give up 11 runs and expect to, oh, now i got to have the offense scored 12. And I agree that the lineup is not deep enough as a whole this season, and they're going to have to improve it next year. But to me, the offense, sure, it went cold, but that's not on them. And it goes to me, it's, you know, good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose. And right now, the Cardinals are playing like a bad team. They somehow find a way to lose these games that they shouldn't. This is, what, the seventh ten game, seven to ten games that we've said, oh, that's one that's a tough one to lose. You can't do that. And to me, last night, it's not so much on the offense. I put about 10% of the blame on them. The rest goes on to the Cardinals pitching, in my opinion. I think it's probably a little unfair what I'm doing here by putting more of the blame on the offense than you are. Like, I would say it's probably a third, 
a fourth to a third of the blame should go towards the offense. And the reason why I'm doing so is because it wasn't an isolated incident for the bullpen. This is not something we've seen very much of of late. The bullpen's been much better lately. You mentioned this yesterday, Tanner. The bullpen in general has been pretty darn impressive overall TKO. <laughs> over the last two, three weeks. The offense has not. So this offense, like, they don't get the benefit of the doubt from me at this point. And last night, yeah, it was great that they got out to such an awesome lead and you get seven runs in the first three innings against a pitcher they had struggled against prior to last night. It's awesome. You can't just stop at that point, though. Mm-hmm. If I do a pretty good job for the first hour of a radio show, it hasn't happened for me yet, but eventually <laughs> maybe it will. And then I just stink for the next two hours. Like, that doesn't mean that it was a good show for me that day. It means that I had a good hour. The Cardinals had a good three-inning stretch, and then they just stopped. It was as if the offense, like, okay, we we clocked in, and we're going to get eight hours of this. We're a full-time employee, but we only actually worked for three hours today. No, you got to do your job for the full eight to be able to get paid for the full eight. And to your point on the on-base percentage, Saxy, these are the teams this season in the National League that have a worse on-base percentage as a team than the St. Louis Cardinals. It's the Cubs, it's the Pirates, and it's the Marlins. Those are the only three teams in the National League with a worse on-base percentage than the St. Louis Cardinals. I know on-base can be a little bit of a boring statistic because it includes walks and nobody likes watching walks. It's boring. But you got to get on-base to be able to score runs. That that's, that's the whole name of the game. The thing that people get mad about is the whole money ball thing, like... The reason why Moneyball existed the way that it did with the walks is because people weren't valuing that. Now people are valuing it. It's a super important piece of the game. And the Cardinals Cardinals are valuing it. But a few years ago, might have been six or seven years ago, they stopped showing batting averages to their minor league players and started showing on base percentage because, as you said, it's a more important statistic. And you do want to hit well. Like, batting average does matter, especially in certain situations. If you've got a runner in scoring position, uh, runner on second with one out, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to walk there. Like, the batting average, that's where it does kind of come into play. But it's still important because now you've got two runners on. So it, the Cardinals this year have been bad at the things that matter offensively. And last night it showed up in the worst possible spot. Again, seven runs, that's great. They deserve their props for that. But when you get down and you just shut down offensively once again, I, I'm not going to let them completely off of the hook for that. And, and the other thing, too, is that, and I didn't even realize this until Danny Mack had brought it up, that the starting pitcher is one who gave up all seven runs through three innings, and then he's able to go out basically another three innings and shut you down. I, I mean, that can't happen. I mean, you're you're hitting him, and then he makes one adjustment, and then you can't readjust back to him. And and as he said, you got to take advantage and get into the bullpen. So I understand where that's coming from. You have you have to do that because now the Pirates bullpen, sure, they used four guys. Let's be honest, they probably should have used about five guys yesterday, mm-hmm. and then that changes the rest of the three games in this series. That's the thing. And now, like, the Cardinals are in that spot, right? Going into tonight, who the hell is available in this bullpen? Mm-hmm. You really need a big-time start out of J-Hap, which mm-hmm. is a terrifying thing to say. <laughs> and, and it might work out because he's been great so far for, in a Cardinals uniform, but... The Cardinals need a big-time start out of hat because of the way that they had to use their bullpen over the last few games. Meanwhile, the Pirates, they had to go to their pen, sure, but not as much as they probably should have if the Cardinals were able to keep tacking on. And maybe it's not fair of me to say this right now, but, I mean, it feels like the series has already been lost. And I know it's only been one game to go, well, they're playing the Pirates. How can it be lost? Well, just as we just talked about, I mean, you lose. It looks like that's going to be the the set the tone. We're going to blow them out in game one, and we're going to go through their bullpen, and instead it's, 
we thought we were going to blow them out. We blow a big lead. We have this terrible inning. We have to burn through our bullpen. Now we have to turn to J-Hap, and it's just that snowball <laughs> effect for the rest of this series. And it honestly feels like the series is already lost. I'm not saying they're going to lose three or four. They can honestly win the next three. But it's already that feeling in that locker room that they're going to be saying, oh, boy, we really got to start winning. That was a game we had to have. And now Pittsburgh, they're saying, we got nothing to play for. We just we just had this great inning against the Cardinals. Let's go be spoilers. Yeah, Question I mean, you, you have energized the Pirates at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. by losing two or three here, then losing this one, they're going, man, we got a chance to knock the Cardinals out. If you play in the NL Central, do you think you like the Cardinals? No. Yeah. Your fans hate them. <laughs> you probably don't like them very much because they win the division most of the time. You're thrilled with that. Now you got a little juice flowing in your clubhouse. You know, those guys want to win a few more games in this series. More deflating loss. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I posted this on my Twitter account. I'm at BK Sports Talk as a poll as well. More deflating loss. Last night or the game that the Cardinals had a 6-1 to one lead going into the ninth inning against the Cubs in early or late July, right after the, the All-Star break, and they ended up losing that one 7-6. Which one do you think was more deflating, last night or the one that they lost 7-6 to six against the Cubs? I think, you know, I think for the team it might have been the Cubs because of the rivalry, and there was a... The Cubs still had their, you know, their good players. I don't think they traded those guys yet, so there was an excitement there, like you're going head-to-head with guys you've been competing against so much. But I think as a fan, as an observer, I would say last night was more deflating in terms of the overall feel because it just felt like it's kind of your last chance. You really had to get some traction. Didn't happen. Now you're going into August. You're going to be four and a half, five something games back. Not good. Almost you're you're kind of teetering on irrelevant at this point. So to me, it was last night. I'm with you. I think it was last night because that kind of felt like the final knockout punch. Not only do you lose Flaherty a second time just heading into this series, mm-hmm. You go to a Cabrera who'd been really good heading into this series. You're playing a team that's one of the worst in baseball, and then they have that beginning on you. It's not like that Cubs game, which I think that one was probably right behind this one, where it wasn't like Reyes started that inning and didn't have command. He, I don't think he was ready to come in originally because they went to Luis Garcia, and then he gets brought in when he thought he was going to have a night off. That's why I'd say this Pirate one's a little bit worse. The Cubs one made me more mad. I'd agree with that one for sure. This one was more deflating. Was that when you were called Brandon? That's the one. Yeah. Uh, the Cubs series was, <laughs> or the Cubs game was one of those where it's like, that can't happen. How in the world does that happen in that spot? How? How? I need answers. This one was, they're done. Yeah. Like, that That was that was all I needed to see to know, all right, it's just not going to work this year. Yeah. And I, I was teetering on that all week. I've kind of been wavering one way or the other on this Cardinals team. And can they actually make the playoffs? Maybe. But it had very little to do with them and everything to do with the other teams that are competing for the wild card being terrible right now. Last night, it gave me everything I needed to know. If that's what's going to happen to you against the Pirates, when you know, you know going in, we got to win all four of these games. What's going to happen to them against Milwaukee Mm. and the Dodgers and the Padres and Milwaukee again when they have to play them seven more times after the first series? And the Reds, you got to catch. I I just I don't have any belief at this point that the Cardinals are going to be able to make this happen down the stretch. So last night for me was much more deflating. The one against the Cubs made me more mad. Mm. That one was that made me angry. This one made me deflated as a Cardinals fan. Yeah, the one like thing, if you're looking for like a, okay, I want to believe in this season, I'm not giving up, I want to keep watching these games, I want to reason, six more head-to-heads with the, with the Reds over the next 10 days or so, I think, 
that does give you a chance to eat into it, right? Yep. Now, could the Padres or the Phillies get hot in the meantime and, and nope. not make it all that relevant? Nope. Doesn't look like it, but they could. I mean, Blake Snell pitched really well the other night. If they get their pitching sorted out, the Padres could, I think, um, though it has been a while that they've been sinking. But what I'm saying is what you can't afford at this point of the season, it's not just the word, you know, obviously a day goes by, you don't gain ground. That's a bummer. But when you lose a game in the standings, now you're, you're really just making it impossible. He's Mark Saxon. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so, but coming up next, Benji Molina, Yadier Molina's brother is going to join us to talk about the final year of Yadi in a Cardinals uniform. And if it's actually going to be the final year of Yachty in a Cardinals uniform this time, we'll talk to Benji next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. That's Mark Saxon. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. And right now, we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk to one of my favorite human beings in the world. It is Benji Molina, Yachty's brother, uh, a fantastic catcher in his own right, a Gold Glove Award winner multiple times in his career. Benji, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Oh, thank you guys for having me in the show. I'm doing great, man. I'm doing doing good. Uh, just resting. It was a really uh, we were doing the games at home, this uh, homestand, and it was pretty heavy doing doing a lot of stuff for the Cardinal Nation. So, uh, just resting today. That's all we. That's all we're doing. Benji, we're gonna keep things positive with you today. I don't want to ask you about last night's game. We don't have to go over that. I just want to talk to you about Yachty being back and the positives that are taking place for the Cardinals right now. When you heard officially that the Cardinals had got a deal done to bring your brother back for another year uh, to finish his career here in St. Louis, what what was your initial reaction to that? I thought I thought they did good. You know, I thought that they um, they needed to do it. Um, uh, you know, obviously for Cardinal Nation, for fans, for for the city, uh, just to do it right. You know, I thought that's what came to my mind. I mean, they did it right. They they talk about it. They, Yaddy said that he wanted to get it done before the season's over. And and not only that, but I know the uh, the office wanted to do it. So I mean, we were very very excited. We're really really uh, happy. We're proud of him for sure as a family. Uh, but we're really, really excited that he's uh, coming back and, and, and maybe finish his career right here in St. Louis where he belongs. So, Benji, I got to ask you a follow-up question because I was watching MLB Network the other day and I saw Pedro Martinez and he gave a message to Yadier Molina. I'm going to play you this cut if you don't mind and then I want to get your response to this on the other side. I want to say yeah. something to, to, to Yadi. Now that I'm uh, up here and looking at the camera, Yadi. Unless next year goes really bad, todavía no. You can stay. You say stick around. Stick around. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless it's physically yeah. you know, hurting and we don't know anything, but I, I would just say todavía no. Still. Benji, is next year really the last year of Yadi or Molina, or are we going to see this potentially for another couple of seasons afterwards? You know what? Um, I, think, I think Pedro's right for sure. Um, it has to come from inside of Yadi, and knowing a little bit of inside of Yadi, um, if he's going the same way he's going this year and he feels this way, I don't see why he would retire. 
if um, if nothing goes right, you know, obviously if, if nothing goes right or or he doesn't feel or injuries or anything like that or his body's beat up, which which the way he's playing right now, man, he can control any kind of pitching stuff out there. He can help out a lot of kids. So I don't know, man. It's hard to say. I would say no because my heart says that I want to see him play for at least five, ten more years. <laughs> So, but you never know, man. You never know. He said he was his last year. I hope he changed his mind on the middle of the year because he's doing so good and the Cardinals are doing good too, you know? That's fantastic. Maybe uh, if he does go another 10 years, he could catch Satchel Paige. He wants to pitch <laughs> at 59 years old in the game. Benji, I want to ask you about you and your brothers because um, people may not know this. I covered you when you were in Anaheim, and you were a lot like Yachty. You would backpick runners. You had a tremendous arm. And... I think the underrated part of Yadi, the reason people don't understand the Hall of Fame, you know, lock, I think that he is, is for 18 years, teams didn't run on the Cardinals. And what's the value of being able to take away the stolen base from other teams? But I wonder, and then the other interesting, Jose, you know, I think by some measures had the best arm of all three of you with, why do you guys, why, what was it that allowed you guys to develop such strong arms was it just genetics? Did you guys throw a lot as kids? And I'm also curious why none of you kind of gravitated to the mound and became pitchers. Well, um, I think uh, to start your your question, uh, your uh, your comment and question, I think we were all my dad when we played with my dad when we were young. We all played different positions, so we were pitchers too. So mm-hmm. up until like 16 or something, no, like 15. 14, 15, 16, something like that. So we were all pitchers, uh, third basemen. I played everywhere but catcher. Yaddy played everywhere. Uh, Hosey played everywhere. So we de- I think we developed our arm uh, maybe because we were outside almost every day playing tape ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing with the regular ball the whole time. Um we were we were outside the whole time, I guess, you know, throwing, we were playing, so we were constantly throwing. So I guess our arms got pretty strong, you know? Mm-hmm. That could be one of the reasons why we had such a strong arms. Um also we were we were throwing to get some fruit from the from the tree many times. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't have any sticks to get it. So we had to throw it, you know, with a rock. Was or it a mango it tree or what? Um, we called it hobo. Hmm. Hobo. I, I, I've been trying to find the uh, for a long time. The, how do you say it in English? Uh-huh. But I can tell it's, it's very, very similar to the mango. So uh, fantastic. Uh, but we've we've been trying to do that. But that could be related to our strength, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we were running a lot. I know we were we were outside playing. A lot, so maybe that had to do with it. Um, for us to, I don't know, for for us to be able to be catchers and and things like that, it comes from the from obviously the little leagues. Everybody thinks that when they see us, they think we were born, and then all of a sudden, two years later, we were in the big leagues. Yeah, and and that, and that's not how it is. You guys know it. Mm-hmm. You. You do what these little kids are doing. We went through the whole thing. Uh, we went through the little leagues. We went to tryouts. We went through uh, uh, selection teams and whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then we went through college. I mean, my brother signed out high school, but 
I went to college, junior college. So mm-hmm. we went, we pay our dues before we became professional. And not only that, after you can become professional guys, mm-hmm. you go through a hard time in the minor leagues. So, um, so I think that's why we're so strong-minded, mature uh, baseball players, you know. We're talking to Benji Molina here on 101 ESPN. Kind enough to join us after it was announced earlier this week that his brother Yachty officially signed another one-year deal with the Cardinals for 2022. Uh, Benji, if next year is the final year for Yachty, if this is his decision to hang it up after the season, how important do you think it would be for him to be able to finish things up with Adam Wainwright? And as a as a little bit of an addition to that, how cool do you think it would be to potentially bring back Albert Pujols as well for a send-off for all three of them in the same season? I think it's. Uh, I think it would be, like, legendary. That would be the word. You know, like, if you can get those three guys retiring in the same year, you know, and, and playing for the team they really, really love. You know, they started and, and they finished there. I think it would be legendary, man. I think it would be something that not – it, it'll be it, it'll live through baseball forever. I really do believe so. Albert, I don't know what his plans are. I don't know if he's retiring or not. I don't know if uh, if he's gonna be with us. But the Wayno side, it's not about Yadi only. It's not about coming back because of Yadi only. It's about because he's been our ace for two years. For two years. Adam Wainwright has been our ace, and he's going to be 40 this year pretty soon, if it's not already. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's not only for Yadi to be with him in his last year, but also because he's been our ace. These two guys literally has been helping the team win games, you know. Uh, so that's why the reason needs to be uh, Wainwright comes back because he's been our ace winning games whenever most we need it. And Yadi has been taking care of the behind the plate and, and clutch hits after clutch hits, uh, a leader behind the plate and everything. So those are the main reasons too. Benji, if, if last year is Yadi's last year and that, and he's pretty, you know, let's say he turns out to be adamant about that and, you know, it is going to be cool to see him go to all these cities and, and watch other teams kind of show their appreciation for him. Um, but as you got older in your career, and I wonder if this will apply to Yachty, did you think it was more important for you to take younger catchers or younger players and kind of teach them the way to play? And do you think maybe in that final year Yachty will do that with whether it's Andrew Kisner or Yvonne Herrera, just to make sure that this organization is kind of in good shape at the position? Yeah, he, he, I'm sure 100% he will do that. But remember, guys, ever since he came in, that's all he saw. Mm-hmm. We were just talking the other day about how how guys took care of him when he was a young guy. So after he became the number one guy in St. Louis, he did the same. This is not last year, his first year. Last year wasn't his first year in spring training taking care of the kids. Mm-hmm. So he's been doing this since, I mean, since I remember. Uh, when he became number one, he takes care of him. So I don't think next year is going to be a different. When you are, when you are playing baseball, and and you see yourself as a target. Oh, Kisner wants my job. Herrera wants my job. Sanchez wants my job. You you will not perform. You will not be good. I think, I think you put that aside. You become a nice nice human being. 
uh, a great hearted, humble human being. You try to help and then you go out there and do your job and you don't have to worry about anything. So that's what Yadi have done to these kids. Let me tell you this real quick. Mm-hmm. When I when I got up to the big leagues, I have veteran players in my club. I have like four other catchers that play other positions. I don't want to name the names, mm-hmm. but I have four or five guys. And let me tell you what, they did not spend one minute with me, mm-hmm. teaching me or helping me. One minute they did not spend. And, and I spent, I have spent hours, days, if you count them all the hours. Yadi has spent days, maybe years, if you count all those days and, and months that he has spent helping kids, helping the young ones, always trying to give him advice, always trying to put the, the right perspective out there, always trying to teach him how to win games or, or teaching them that the winning part is the most important part of this. I mean, he's been teaching these young kids forever. Me, uh, I did the same thing. Tozy, I know he did the same thing. So we're not worried about somebody taking our jobs. We're worried about them becoming good players, good people out there. So I don't see that changing. We're talking to Benji Molina for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Benji, I'm curious, what what's Yachty's relationship like with Yvonne Herrera? I, I know he's certainly spent some time with him. As you talked about, he spent time with a lot of the young catchers over the years. But what's his relationship specifically like with Yvonne Herrera? And uh, if you've seen Yvonne in, in spring training, what's your impression of Herrera? I think it's uh, uh, Yachty has a great relationship with him. They text and, and they keep in touch through uh, social media too. So they have a good relationship. Yadi always have good relationship with uh, all the catchers that he uh, obviously come involved in spring training during the season. So their relationship is nothing to worry about. They have a great relationship with each other, all the catchers. So that's, that's fine. Um, I, I've seen uh, Herrera catch and I've seen him uh, hit. And, and I tell you what, the, the word that everybody uses it's potential, right? He he has potential, but nobody can tell you when they get up to the big leagues that they're going to be good. Sure. The only guy who's going to tell you is when they step out on the plate and, and Cherser's pitching or Velander or whoever it is. I don't care, but I'm just saying names. But mm-hmm. whoever it is is out there, and then you perform. We have seen it. We saw it from Bader. He had potential. They loved potential. He had it. And he struggled for a couple of years, or maybe more, before he he's having a, a you know a normal year this year. Uh, we saw what O'Neill was going through for three or four years too. Um, you know, so it takes these kids maybe time. I don't know. Maybe they don't develop. You know, Kisner, they, he had a shot to play every day when Yadi went down, and he started off hot, but then all of a sudden. He, he felt what Yadi was feeling, you know, the, the the grind of playing everyday everyday ball and the grind of taking care of the pitching and the blocking and getting hit foul tips and all of a sudden he's hitting one something. You know what I mean? So it, it's not about potential. I see a lot of potential on him. I don't like that word. I really hate that word because <laughs> I I, my mom has the potential to steal a base. <laughs> so, and she, that doesn't mean she's going to do it. So, I don't like that word so much, but in this case, um, he's doing good in the. I mean, he's doing good in the minor leagues. Uh, but when he gets to the big leagues, is gonna be the real payoff. It's gonna be the real. Okay, he's here. 
let's see what he does, you know. So that you got to wait, man. The potential's there. The the kid is really good. Has a lot of skill. Has a lot of upside to him. Um, but you know, it's it's when they get here in the big leagues what it matters the most. So, so BK said we weren't going to do this, but I just can't help myself because I respect your baseball knowledge. Uh, Benji, and you know, you cover the whole homestand. They kind of didn't make the traction they had hoped to make. And then last night, obviously, they they blew a big lead in Pittsburgh. Do you still feel like this team is in contention, Benji? And if not, if they don't make it this year, where where do you think this roster or this group of guys kind of fell short? I'm going to tell you what, guys. I, uh, from what we saw, you know, almost all year, they've been up and down. Mm-hmm. I mean, the beginning of the year, they took off a little bit, you know, before they went to L.A., came back home at 7 a.m. After that day, Flaherty got hurt. And then after that day, they just been downhill uh, after that. So from what I've seen, the only thing that keeps me with my fingers crossed is that five game out of the wild card, six games, mm-hmm. which is really doable. You know, the, the teams are beating up on each other. Mm-hmm out there the division is out of hand probably by now but the uh the way the brewers are playing and the reds so i mean the the wild card it's open uh i'm i'm gonna say this and it's not in a mean way towards anybody it's just like a baseball mind right Mm -hmm. um i learned that the last two months of the season it's time to stop making excuses it's time for the Cardinals to stop making excuses. And I'm not saying they are doing excuses. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general from baseball for what I know, right? So it's time to stop making excuses. Oh, the pitching is not doing well. Mm-hmm. Oh, the injuries. Oh, the bullpen is it's not pitching well at the end of the game. So uh, the hitting, they get in slumps. They cannot bring an RBI from third or less than two outs. Or, or oh, man, if we would have got that guy over from second, we would have had a chance to win. Oh, you know, like that. Oh, if we score runs. Oh, I mean, I'm tired. And I'm telling you from guys that are in the Hall of Famers, they told me this thing. It's the last two months. It's time for any team to stop making freaking excuses and go out there on the field and win. That's just bottom line, the W. At the end of the night, the Brewers, uh, Cincinnati, San Diego, Whoever, whoever who's on top of you does not give a crap if they win by a wild pitch, if they win by a buck, if they win by an air, if they win by a sack fly, if they win by a bunt, if they win by running the bases, if they win by pitching, if they win by hitting, they don't give a crap, dude. They don't give a crap. And the last two months of the season is about the freaking W. That's what it is about. Stop making excuses as, as in general, right? You know, I'm talking about MLB. Mm-hmm. Stop making excuses. If you're in it, just go out there and try to fight for the freaking win. Mm-hmm. If you lose, you know what, bro? We lost. They beat us. Let's go home and let's turn the page and let's win tomorrow. You know, but it's, it gets tiring of everybody trying to make excuses for everybody. Man, the last two months of the season, it's goal time. You either win or you lose a game, and that's it. It's not because the starting didn't go five, the starting go went four, the the hitting got a slump, but they couldn't score a run. I don't give a crap, dude. That's the excuses is not for me. The last two months of the season, we win, we lose, shut up, 
come back stronger next day, and let's do it again. Let's see what happens. Benji, you're always the best, man. We appreciate you hopping on with us today. All the best to you. All the best to your brother. Send us all of our best, and we'll talk with you again soon, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. That's Benji Molina, gold glove catcher in his own right, uh, brother for Yadier Molina, talking a little bit about both Yadier's extension and uh, the Cardinals as a whole this year. A ton to react to there. Let's do that here. We'll get to questions and answers coming up here in just about five minutes or so. We'll go ahead and double break here, Tanner. Uh, So 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers coming up at the top of the hour. Let's start with what he said about Yadier, and then we'll get to what he said about the team in general. I, that That is why I am hesitant to say with certainty that this is going to be Yadier Molina's last year in the big leagues. I will say this. I think this is Yadier Molina's last year with the Cardinals. And I think that the Cardinals would like it to be Yadier Molina's last year in the big leagues. And I think that's the assumption right now. I don't think they're going to go into 2023 with the plan of Yadi being back on the big league club. And I think that because of that, the contract negotiations were basically, hey, Yachty, this is it, man. This this has to be it. And if this is really it for you, we'd love to have you for one more season here in St. Louis. And I think Yachty even might have convinced himself right now that next year is going to be his final year in the big leagues. I wonder what the conversation is going to be like, though, this time next year when he's approaching the end and he's like, man, I'm. I'm having a pretty good year. I feel good. I think I can play another season. I feel like there's teams that could use me and I'm a winning player. All these different things that we've heard so often. That's when I think things will get really interesting. Well, right. I mean, you heard Benji there. That's his brother. That's his big brother. I mean, he knows him as well as anybody. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if he changes his mind. And one thing I'll tell you, I think what what, what this what, what this is showing us, Pedro Martinez, Benji, these guys are kind of old school, right? And the old um, way of thinking about it was make them peel that uniform off you, okay? You keep playing as long as somebody will pay you good money to play mm-hmm. baseball. That's how guys used to think about it. And they would get on each other if guys would retire early or whatever because – that's just not the spirit of it. You're supposed to keep competing, even if it's competing within your own organization to show that you're the top catcher or you deserve a backup spot. So I think that's what those two guys are saying. Like, why would you go out if you're, you know, an above average hitting catcher and you're still a defensive presence? Um, certainly with Adam Wainwright, that applies, right? He's a top, you know, 14 pitcher in, in the National League. There's no, it's absurd to think of of retirement. So I think that's kind of what those guys are saying. It could become a little bit awkward if all these cities are giving him, you know, a new car and things. And then he comes out and says, actually, I changed my mind. I'm not retiring. Does he have to give all the stuff back? I don't know. Nah, he'd figure it out. (laughs) He'd find a way. And then the other thing that I wanted to react to was what Benji Molina had to say about the Cardinals. And at the end. he's clearly talking about the Cardinals there. Like, hey, stop stop making excuses. It's time to just go out there and win. Yes. Find ways to win. And Tanner made a great point earlier when we were talking about the game last night and how it feels like the Cardinals just find ways to lose. Mm -hmm. Winning teams find ways to win, and the Cardinals find ways to lose in in the craziest way possible. They give up six runs in the top of the ninth inning against the Cubs. They gave up last night, whatever it was, eight runs or whatever in the seventh inning. You go into a game earlier this year with Adam Wainwright on the mound. He pitches a complete game, gives up two earned runs, and you find a way to lose against the Phillies. The Brewers just a couple of weeks ago, they had that crazy win against the Cardinals late in that one. They just 
They find ways. Yeah. And that's four games that I could mention off the top of my head. Guess how many games the Cardinals are back right now? Forget the pitching deficiencies that you had in June. It's just these weird losses that this team's had this season that has held them out of this playoff race. So I'm with him. There are no more excuses at this point. Unfortunately, though, I don't think it much matters because they're in such a hole that the excuses have almost become explanations now Mm -hmm. as to why they're not going to be able to make it to the playoffs, potentially. Yeah, and it's kind of a fine line, right, between an explanation and an excuse. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the examples from last night is, you know, with Mike Schilt talking about potentially is he tipping his pitches with Genesis Cabrera. And Benji's 100% right. Nobody cares at this point. You're getting into August and September. You either won the game or you didn't. You either protected that lead or you didn't. It doesn't matter why Genesis Cabrera gave up eight runs and whatever stretch of batters it was, you know, the sort of the big bang. But um, that's kind of the way it is. And and teams don't want to hear about that. That I'm sure the Pirates don't want to hear about that. We we didn't win because of that. We win because we got all those mm-hmm. hits. You know, you, the guy's still throwing 97. You think that's easy? So, and it does, you know, and I think Mike Schill takes some criticism here. And I think some of it's fair, you know. It's such an era of sort of being a player's manager. There's Everybody's a player's manager now. It, it almost gets to absurd lengths, right? The way they lavish these guys with praise, and then when things go bad, they say, oh, well, you got to give them a break. It, it just, it, it just run, rings false after a while with, with your fan base. It rings false even with the players, I, I was would about think, to say, after they a know while. It. Yeah, so I, I do think he needs to sort of – be a little more honest, you know, be like, I'm not sure we're getting his true feelings and he can express his true feelings without, you know, truly throwing a play on, player under the bus. But this notion of like, you know, when we talk about it in a positive way, oh, they're an all time Hall of Famer. They're one of the greatest human beings that's ever lived. It just gets over the top for me sometimes listening to Mike Sheldon. That, that would be one like piece of advice, not that he would care my advice but i just think that rings hollow with with a fan base well it's like the other day for me to be able to find that like modicum of information that actually mattered where he said hey we have a very slim margin for error right now i was like whoa right okay yeah that's that's 100 there's an true. honest an honest assessment yeah, and it's show. accurate like nobody in their right mind would disagree with what he's saying and it's okay to just say that publicly right like hey listen we haven't scored a lot of runs this year you can look at the numbers we're in the bottom 10 in every offensive statistical category yeah, it's been tough for us to be able to have that margin for error and when you have that it becomes more difficult for the rest of your roster to be able to come through everybody agrees that that's true a lot of people have said that that's true. To hear it from the manager, though, does matter. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, want to react to something else that Benji Molina had to say there about Albert Pujols maybe making sense for the Cardinals. We'll do that at 1215. Coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. We'll get into Albert Pujols and whether or not he makes sense for the Cardinals in the offseason in about 10 minutes or so. But let's start with some of your questions from the text line. Let's start with this. Guys, I want to believe our front office will do some major moves to make us a strong contender. But my brain tells us that they're not going to do much of anything. Tell us how we can continue supporting a team with that thought process. Do you think they will actually go out and make major moves in the offseason? 
Saxy, are you anticipating any big time moves from the Cardinals next year? I am because I think I think their MO basically has been to have about the same payroll each year. And while they have those arbitration raises, they do have $60 million coming off the books, right? So mm-hmm. so there will be that money to spend, and I think they'll 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 spend it. I, I this this narrative kind of seems surprising to me when you consider that they have acquired Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in the last what three years. Those are their, you know, their two best hitters, their two best players. So I, I don't totally understand that narrative. Um, I think it might be smarter to spread the money around a little bit rather than get one, you know, high price player. If they're not going to go to the sort of Corey Seager, Carlos Correa level, and you're going to go, you know, fill a need below that, I, I would rather see them spread the money around a little bit more and add quality depth, which was has been the, the, the sort of, tone of uh, this entire conversation this morning <laughs> feels like the, the the phrase of the day so w- we'll see but yeah i do i would expect them to be active and i think if they're not active then you have to ask the question you know are they just you know taking the, the money they saved and pocketing it and I, I that has not been their mo so it'd be surprising to me yeah i expect them to be active i don't expect them to get like one of the big top shortstops and give one guy 30 million over like 10 years but I'm kind of with you, Saxy. I think they'll do kind of the spread it out, go add the depth that they know that this team really could have used this year. I expect them to do that, and I expect them to spend pretty much all the $60 million, if not even exceed that amount, with Arnado being on the books, and they know that this is their window. I hope you guys are right. I want them to do all of those things. And I do think, to your point, Saxy, it's a little unfair what we do about the Cardinals with their spending. They do spend. They're mm-hmm. in the top 10 annually mm-hmm. in the amount of money that they're spending, despite the fact that I think they're like 18th or 20th in market, market size. size. Right. So they do spend beyond their market, and that is possible because of the support that they get yeah, from the fans. It's a, it's a small market, but it's a very good market. They operate as if they were a big market. Yeah. So they deserve credit for that. And the fans deserve credit for that. Absolutely. The fans make it possible. The frustration, though, comes in with where they're spending that money, how they're spending that money, because they're spending a good amount, Mm -hmm. but it's on guys like Andrew Miller and giving contracts to veterans that are past their prime. And I like Miles Michaelis, but that contract was unnecessary to Mm -hmm. give it to him when they did. Mm -hmm. The same thing was true for Matt Carpenter. Mm -hmm. They spend star money on mid-level players and they spend star money at times on mid-level players that are in their mid-30s that's where you get yourself into a lot of trouble what i would like to see them do more of and it is risky there's no doubt about it but the upside is significantly higher spend that star money on stars Instead of spending $18 million on Matt Carpenter, $19 million on Dexter Fowler, go spend 25 on Corey Seager. You know, is it a little extra? Yeah, but it's not significant enough that it's going to really hinder you or your ability to go out there and get something. And right now is the best time to do it because you do have cost control in your outfield. You have cost control right now at second base and Tommy Edmond. You're about to have some guys that you really think are going to contribute in a big way with Nolan Gorman. Yvonne Herrera is eventually going to take over at catcher. That's cost controlled. Um, you've got Matthew Liberatore coming up. You've got a lot of cost controlled pitching both in the pin and in your rotation. This is the time to go make that kind of a big move. If ever they were going to do it, it should be right now. Yeah, they, you mentioned the Andrew Miller contract. That was a bad contract. The worst of all of them for me was the Brett Cecil contract. They, they've had this habit of, um, you know, not wanting to spend for the top relief target out there and then going to the third or fourth best. 
There have been studies done that show that is literally the worst way to build a bullpen. You are bet if you cannot get the best guy out there, you're much better off just taking some starter with a good arm in your minor leagues and turning him into a reliever. Or going the route they've gone this year with TJ McFarland and Correct. Luis Garcia and Retreads. just turning through all of those Correct. guys. Just keep claiming guys off other teams' rosters, DF, whatever it is. Get guys at bargain rates and give them a shot. That is a much smarter way to build a bullpen than to go get a Brett Cecil and then give him a fourth year, which was absurd, I think. Andrew Miller, again, you mentioned it. You'd yep. seen signs of decline, and yet you still gave him that whatever it was, $25 million deal. So absolutely, I think that's a terrible way to build bullpens. Um, and it applies in a way also to to position players. If, if, if you need a third baseman or you need a, a second baseman and you don't want to spend for the top guy, it doesn't make sense to then earmark a certain amount of that money to the second or third best guy because there's a big drop off there. Especially right? not for multi-year. If right. you're going to go a one-year deal, I remember Josh Donaldson did this a few years ago where he got a one-year deal. It was a prove-it deal, and it was like $20 million, a lot mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. That's a one-year deal. There's very little risk in that, right? And he had been a super, superstar not that long before that, yeah. right? So that's the kind of thing yep. that, okay, like Javi Baez is the guy that we talked about this with. If he's looking or if Trevor Story's looking for a bounce back deal next year, yeah, there's going to be a team that might make might get really good value out of that kind of a contract. But Javi Baez is not somebody who, like the fourth best shortstop, maybe fifth best shortstop on the market, I'm not giving him six years. No. I'm not going six years, $20 million per with him. That's yeah. not something oh, that I'm interested not. in. But you did bring a good point, and I had said I don't think there's any shot they would look at a Javi Baez, but you're right. If if his market is at the point, it, and, and it's a fascinating test case because we'll see how front offices feel about strikeouts now, right? You you hear all this that they're afraid of him. They're trying to get their off, you know, offenses not to put the ball in play. But if he, his market does crumble to the point where he's looking for a prove-it deal, a, a pillow contract, a one-year, let's say, $20 million deal, that would be an interesting name for me because – Throw him at short. You lock down excellent defense there. You're not counting on him to be your third hitter. You've got those two guys, right? You're counting on him to be your five hitter. Mm-hmm. Now, that's scary. That's that's somebody something to pay attention to if you're yeah. a, a, an opposing pitcher, right? So it is kind of an interesting name now that if it does get to that point where he doesn't get the kind of deal he hopes to get. Yeah, it, it, he wouldn't be my first option. But right. if, if you strike out on the first six options for your offseason, yeah. And he's willing to take a below market value deal on a one-year contract. All right, now I'm interested in potentially. You're better at that. off doing that than a Dexter Fowler for five years. Absolutely, absolutely. That's Mark Saxon. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Play game of Believe It or Not. If you've got something for us on the text line six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort song. Service text line. Coming up next, though, does Albert Pools make sense for the Cardinals this offseason? Tim Kirkchin had some interesting thoughts on that, and we'll hear it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Would I bring Albert Pujols back? Yes, I would, but only if you have a DH, only if you have spot a spot for him to play, 
and only if he finishes strong and wants to come back. Otherwise, it really doesn't make enough sense. That was Tim Kirkchen earlier today with Carriker and Smallman. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app, is where you can find the full podcast of Tim Kirkchen's appearance with The Morning Show. And with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. So do you bring Albert Pujols back next year? It's a question that I'm curious to, to talk about a little bit about. You're already bringing Yadier Molina back for... What we are of the opinion right now will be his final season in the big leagues. You're hoping to be able to do that with Adam Wainwright as well. Do you just, you bring back all of the legends and you do one final send off for all three of those guys. Getting the band back together, boys. My opinion on this, and I'd be curious on yours as well, uh, Saxy, it does make some sense. It can't be your only upgrade. Mm -hmm. He can't be your answer at designated hitter. But if he's willing to come in as exclusively a right-handed bench bat who can start as your designated hitter against left-handed pitching, I'm all in on bringing him in. But it has to be in that specific role, and you can't have your manager throwing him out there every day against right-handed pitching as your designated hitter if you bring him in. It needs to be known up front. For Albert and for the manager and for everybody in between, this is the role that we're signing Albert Pools for. And if you're willing to do that, I'm in on it because he's been great this year against lefties. You know, just what I know of Albert, just having been around him more actually in Anaheim than here, but... I can't imagine anywhere he would want to return to more than St. Louis unless it's Kansas City because I do think that's where he lives in the offseason now. Um, both of those make sense to me. Here, What about this thought, BK? And we talked a lot about platoons and how they've been a bit averse to them. What if you get Albert and you get a real lefty power hitter? Whoever it is, a guy who just is hopeless against right, you know, against lefties but mashes righties. I don't know the names off the top of my head. Daniel Vogelbach. Mark Hanna. Jock Jock Peterson, even. Although Jock, you know, you can also throw him into the outfield. He's going to make pretty good money, probably. I don't know if he's a free agent or not. Uh, I thought his was a one-year deal. Jock Peterson? Yeah, he he had a one-year deal. Mark Mark Hanna from the A's. He's a free agent after this season. Yeah, somebody like that. So... Albert's an only, I mean, I don't think Albert could play much more than that at the age he's going to be next year. So, yeah, one every three or four days, you trot him out there. He's going for 700. You've got Yachty's last season. You've got Wayno's potentially last season. And you've got, you know, Pujols going for 700. There's going to be a lot of eye candy out there on the field. But I don't see any reason why you couldn't also pair that with a very competitive team, depending what the other sort of auxiliary auxiliary moves are. Um, I do like it if it's in conjunction with the right moves otherwise. I'm with you. I I, I love it if it's with the right moves. But my concern is that it's not going to be with the right moves. And what I mean by that is... And I, I could easily see them bringing him in, and then the next thing you know, we're talking about, well, Mike Schilt's playing Albert Pujols every day at DH, and that's not what the role he was brought in to do. But if you bring him in on the right idea of you're going to DH one every three, four days against a left-handed pitcher, we've got that platoon bat that's ready to go DH, he's got the power off the bench for you, I think it makes all the sense in the world. And it's a, not only is it good eye candy, as you mentioned, you've got the three final guys from the 016 that will in theory, retire at the end of the year, and there's their send-off, but you're also building this competitive team around them. You've got Arnato, you've got Goldie, you go and add maybe that big bat up the middle, or Gorman comes up, and you've got all these young pieces that are coming as well. I think it's just that perfect blend for the Cardinals, but again, it has to be on that limited role. If you're going to say, well, we want a DH, we, we just want an everyday DH, Pujols isn't that guy, and you got to look elsewhere. And the other thing is, like, you're going to have a roster crunch here pretty soon. 
And this is where I think things get interesting is it becomes less about the money, less about the years, less about anything like that. You're going to have a catcher on your bench. You're going to have Edmundo Sosa, I would imagine, on your bench next year. Somebody in the outfield, you're going to have a lefty bat that they're going to have to probably sign or trade for. They'll be on your bench. And then if you add pools to that, you've got one more spot. And maybe that other spot goes to Nolan Gorman eventually. I think that's probably the plan for next year. Or, or it goes to Tommy Edmond if Gorman takes sure. second base. Whichever one, right. that's the you're earmarking that right. for that player, right? Do you want to add more than that? Or are you good with just having Pujols be the last guy on that bench? Or do you do you need to have somebody else that's able to come in for you? I think that's where things get kind of interesting for me is what's the opportunity cost here? Yeah, and who that's the you, problem with the platoon, too. You need two roster spots. Who are you not going to sign because you signed yeah. Albert Pujols? Uh, I think it can make sense if you get a good enough lefty bat for the outfield because then you can basically do a platoon with the outfield slash DH. Whoever that guy is, maybe they're, they're batting against uh, right-handed pitching as your DH, and then maybe you're able to put somebody else out in the outfield on the days mm-hmm. where you're going up against lefties, and that's when Albert gets his opportunities. You can make it work. Mm-hmm. It just becomes a little bit more difficult, and you've got to piece these things together the right way if Albert's the guy that you're going to be bringing in as that last bench back. That's right. It, basically, what you're saying is it's a boutique. Um, it's a, it's not a requirement to have an Albert Pujols, sure. right? It's a, it's, a, it's a luxury to have a guy who can just play against left-handed pitchers and limited opportunities. It's a lefty mashers. A lot of teams don't even have those guys. Some do. Um, but you're right. It, it doesn't cover a lot of ground for you. And then you're kind of running a, the, the risk of sort of not having the versatility you need because you can't move positions with them. You can only play DH. Um, you do run into that. So, again, it takes clever kind of architecture of your roster um, to sort of make something like that work. Is it likely? I think absolutely not. But, I, you know, it's also fun to talk about, and that's sure. what we're here for, right? And, and honestly, it could be one of those moves where it's like, all right, we don't really have a plan to bring in Albert, and then you get to like a week before spring training, and he's still on the market. And it's like, you know what, We why not? Why not go ahead and try it? We can try it, see how it works in spring training. Granted, then you're probably roped in and not going to release him, but you can at least try it, entertain the idea I'm not saying that the moment free agents start just like, oh, wait, we got to go get Albert. It's, mm-hmm. hey, you know, what we've got, we, we think we got a roster. Right. Why not add Albert? We're a week away mm-hmm. from spring training. Let's just do it. The more, the merrier. So the other th- interesting possibility here is I, I've mentioned the name Nick Castellanos. I'm fascinated by this idea now. He's like, like, I, he, he's like your Brandon Saad now, isn't he? I think he might be. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals because he's a great bat. I mean, he, this guy just hits everywhere that he goes yeah, no, now. No. Over the last five years, he's been tremendous. Um, and this year been no different if he's the kind of player that they want to go out and acquire because they don't want to get into the eight nine ten year contracts for the shortstop market but they know they have to improve the offense well he makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. probably going to get five years maybe a hundred million dollars something like that this offseason if you end up playing him in the outfield against uh left-handed pitching and then he's again as your designated hitter against right-handed pitching that would make a lot of sense right He's not a very good uh, outfielder. Mm-hmm. Defensively, he's not going to help you a whole lot. So mm-hmm. he's only out there now if you're playing him against uh, lefties, for example, like 30% of the time. And that'll give you the natural platoon at DH with Albert Pujols as well. So you've got some options that are going to be available to make this work in the offseason. The Cardinals just have to be willing and open to utilizing the correct matchups if they're going to go down this path. It can't be just sentimentality. It's also got to be a winning move. And Albert, at this point, against lefties is a winning move for a baseball team. And, and maybe I'm 
thinking a little too much here, but with the, I think part of it too will come down to how much faith you have in the rotation. And the reason I say that is, if I'm not mistaken, right now the Cardinals carry an extra pitcher than what most teams do because it's that's thir- 13 pitchers and 13 position players is what they're going with right now. So if you, because that's what eight guys in your pin, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you have faith in your starting pitching and you feel like you're going to get more uh, deeper starts and you have faith in your bullpen more, you don't have to carry that extra guy. Because let's be honest, Ponce Leon, yeah, he pitched last night, but he's pitched twice since he's come off the injured list. And you don't so, have to make some some pitching moves that you would make in the National League right now. You won't have to make next year with the with DH. The DH. So right. that's another thing I think to consider is if you feel confident in your rotation, they're going to give you innings and you have a bullpen that you feel confident in, you don't have to carry eight. You can carry seven, bring on an extra position player, and that's maybe where a pool hole spot would come into play. If you missed it earlier, Benji Molina joined us on the show. Uh, the brother, of course, of Yadier Molina, a two-time gold glove catcher as well. We asked him what would it be like to see not just Yadi for one more year here in St. Louis, but also Albert and Adam Wainwright. Here's what I think he it's. Uh, I think it will be, like, legendary. That will be the word. You know, like, if you can get those three guys retiring in the same year, and playing for the team they really, really love. You know, they started and, and they finished there. I think it will be legendary, man. I think it will be something that it, it'll be it, it'll live through baseball forever. I love that. It would be legendary. It'd be really cool to see. I would also say if you do something like that, it puts even more pressure on the front office to make sure it's a winner. Because yeah. you don't want this to just be some novelty where it's like, wow, okay, yeah, let's go out and see Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright on a – 83 win Cardinals team that misses the playoffs by 10 games. It, you need to put a winner around them. If you're going to go this route, it can't be because you will be criticized almost more. So if you go out and get these guys or get Albert and bring back Yachty and Wayno, and you still don't build a winner around those. Things. Yeah. I mean, th- just, just sort of daydream for a minute and imagine this scenario next year of <clears throat> the possibility of a huge game. Wainwright's on the mound, gets a big out, wins the game. Yachty runs out, jumps in his arms, just like in 2006. You got Albert trotting over. You know, maybe he plays an inning at first. I don't know. Or he runs out of the the the, the dugout. I mean, that that that's a cool scene, right? Um, or Albert walk off homer. Like yeah, that, imagine that in in at Bush Stadium and a big win down the stretch in September right. against the Brewers. I mean, it's exactly. But let's take a step back away from this whole Pujols doing it in St. Louis next year thing and just kind of appreciate what he's done because when the Angels released him, or I don't remember the exact wording, or DFA'd him, whatever. Mutually decided to part ways. Yeah, I thought he was done. I mean, I thought he might latch on a little bit, but I, I didn't think he could play anymore. And what he's done in L.A. is just a total credit to him, right? I mean, he accepted it. He accepted a very limited role after being one of the greatest players you know, in the history of the game, he accepted that role. Mm-hmm. I did not expect it to work out as well as it has. I didn't know what the Dodgers were doing. I didn't get it with all their depth, but it has been really, really good to see him do that. And it, and it does say something about who he is and how much he loves the game that he was willing to do that. And I think it's extended his career as a result. This was probably his last That's chance. Correct. If exactly. things didn't go well for him with the Dodgers and he didn't accept that role and he was a malcontent, which nobody mm-hmm. expected that to be the case, mm-hmm. but if it didn't work out for whatever reason, it's probably going to be it for him. Right. And he was going to go out and this was going to be the sunset of his career. But now because he has shown, hey, as a pinch hitter, you want me to come off of the bench and just mash against left-handed pitching late in a game? Yeah, I can go ahead and do that. As a sub this year, he's batting 310 with an 835 OPS. 
that'll play. That'll play. And if you're the Cardinals going into next year, that's the kind of thing that you very well may need. So it makes a lot of sense from a baseball perspective, not just from a sentimentality perspective. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. That was good radio, BK. That was good radio. Is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're playing a game of Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN. Oh, now I know why you played that. Let's start with this one. Believe it or not, with all the swirling sentimentality, this will be Matt Carpenter's final year as a Cardinal. Believe it or not, this is his final year in St. Louis, Mark Sachs. Unfortunately, I, I'm going to believe that. Um, the, the, there's just nothing pointing to this. You know, them re-signing this player. You know, and, I, and frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if he latched on with somebody, maybe a minor league deal, and then ends up earning a spot and having a pretty good year. He'll Who be in knows? Kansas City for sure. Oh, I was right. thinking so, <laughs> yeah. And then you'll hear a certain segment of Cardinals fans going, how can they let this guy get away? Because they're always, everybody, there's a certain segment of people who are always right in retrospective. You notice that? So, no, but I, I don't see uh, Matt Carpenter returning, and so I'll believe it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see him returning either. It just doesn't, you know... Things have really turned for him because heading into the season, who was the number one guy off the bench? It was Matt Carpenter. Mm-hmm. He's like the third option now. Yeah. And Mike Schultz realized it. They're, they're try- they've tried it. It didn't work. He's he's. I think he's a Cardinals Hall of Famer moving forward, but yeah. I don't think he's brought back next year. I'm with you guys. I think this is it. Uh, I think he is in his final season in a Cardinals uniform, and I think it's for the best for everybody involved. I think it's officially run its course at this point. I think for a lot of Cardinals fans, it ran its course three years ago. I think that's unfair to the player that Matt Carpenter has been right. over the course of his career. But I I definitely am believing that this is his final year with the Cardinals. They need to upgrade that spot in their lineup. They need to upgrade their bench a, a sizable degree yeah. this offseason. And so I, I think he'll be gone. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, all of the first-round quarterbacks will be starting by week four of this NFL season. Ooh, I will not believe that. I just don't think that's going to happen. Can I identify the one who won't be? Please. Um, I guess maybe Justin Fields. I, I don't think he'll quite get in there. Red Rifle's going to tear quickly. it up. I think so. I've always liked the Red Rifle. By the way, like he's supposed to be a great guy. Have you guys heard that? Yeah, I'm sure he's wonderful. Which but let's him. be honest here. No, week four is pretty early, though, man. Not for that. If you <laughs> you tell me how early it is when you're watching Andy Dalton play quarterback for your team. Well, I mean, we'll when the standard one. is Mitch Trubisky, I think you can, you can tolerate more than you think. <laughs> the great, uh, I believe it was Buddy Bell said once, I will never say it can't get worse. I think that's what <laughs> uh, Chicago Bears play, fans are saying right now. So, uh, Tanner, believe it or not, all of the first-round quarterbacks will be starting by week four. I'm not going to believe it because there's three guys that we think aren't going to be starting right off the bat. We know for sure it's not Justin Fields. We're pretty sure it's not going to be Trey Lance. And I'm leaning towards Mac Jones isn't going to be, even though it sounds like he's getting a pretty good opportunity in New England. So... One of those three, and I don't think is going to be starting. I think we'll see Fields sooner than week four. I think Trey Lance we may not see till week, I'll say about six, seven, depending on health of Jimmy G and how he's playing. And then the other one, Mac Jones, he may get before week four, too. I have no faith in Cam Newton in that yeah. offense. So I'm just going to say I don't believe it just because I think Trey Lance won't be appearing till later in the year. So let's look at these schedules, and that'll be a little bit of an indicator for us. 
The Bears start off the season with the Rams on the road on a Sunday night televised game nationally. And right after that, that's when they go to fields. Then you've got Cincy. <laughs> Maybe you, that, that would actually be a pretty good landing spot for Justin Fields. You go against Cincy and then at Cleveland, that'll be tough. But then Detroit and Vegas the following two weeks. If you're going to start Justin Fields this year, the time to do it to be able to give him a little bit of a cushion going up against easier opponents would be week two. Cincy, Cleveland's tough. Detroit, Las Vegas. Because after that, man, that schedule gets difficult when you're looking at the defense they play against. Green Bay, Tampa, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, then going into the bye week. So if you're going to get him in, you want to get him in early. I don't want to see him in his first game on the road at Tampa Bay. That seems like a horrible decision. That's week seven. So I think we will see Justin Fields around that time. The New England Patriots schedule sets up like this. Miami, then at New York for the Jets, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and then at Houston. I feel like that Houston game's got Mac Jones written all over it. It's on the road, but you're going up against one of the worst defenses in the sport. The 49ers are the one that I don't have a good feel for. Right. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a perfectly fine quarterback. I also don't know when he's going to get hurt because it seems to happen every single year. So if he gets hurt in week three against Green Bay, yeah, you could see Trey Lance in week four. I think it's more likely you see him after the bye week, though. I think they have got a week six bye week, and then week seven they go up against Indy. I think that's probably when you'll see him. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm not believing this. I think by week seven or week eight, though, you will see all of the first round rookies. Well, where did Trey Lance go to college? North Dakota State. North Dakota State. Okay, I was going to say South Dakota State. Uh, isn't there some kind of transition when you go from a smaller program like that in terms of, you know. It can be, and he yeah. didn't play. He only played one game last year Yeah, as well. so that's what you wonder, too. Is he ready to read these defenses with what defensive coordinators do to confuse a young quarterback? I, I think the 49ers' plan is to do what the Chiefs did, which was we'll let Mahomes sit under a Smith, so now Lance sits under uh, Jimmy G, yeah. and he comes in if Jimmy G gets hurt or the team's just absolutely underperforming. But right. their roster's so talented I think Jimmy G can get them to the playoffs. It'll just come down to if he can stay healthy, and then I could easily just see them saying, you know what, let's just play this thing out. Next year we move on from Jimmy G. Believe it or not, Matthew Libertor will get Cy Young votes at some point in his career. Boy, that's tough. That's a lot to put on a guy. I, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it. I think he's got he's got elite stuff, and, you know, I I've done a couple stories on him, kind of got his background. He's really committed to it. You know, he's always been a guy who's been identified as a lead prospect. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say if he doesn't ever get a, a Cy Young vote, it would be a little bit of a disappointment for a guy drafted that high. I believe it, too. His stuff is nasty. And his last two, two maybe three starts, I think he struck out maybe seven or more in, in those last two. He's looked really good. And looking at the highlights, he's got the good breaking ball. He's got a good good life on his fastball. So I, I'll believe it. And, again, that is a lot to put on a kid, but – he just looks stuff. He looks like he's going to have dominant stuff. I'm going to not believe this. Uh, really, Mr. Oh, I'm always the optimistic one. And he's just not going to buy you. Has you got him as a third do. or four starter. Has time. nothing to do with Matthew Liberator. It's really hard to yeah. get to that level, man. Yeah. I mean, Jack Flaherty had one of the best second half seasons that we've ever seen in a Cardinals uniform. It's up there in the same breath as Bob Gibson. Like, that's the only cop we have for it. That's how how good you have to be to get into this conversation. Well, remember though, Miles Michaelis in 2018 was got a lot of Cy Young yeah. votes. He was top five. Maybe he gets there. Mm -hmm. I hope he does. I hope I'm wrong mm -hmm. on this, but I just am. 
I'm going to lean on the side of he's going to be a really good number two starter for you, maybe number three starter for you for his career. And if he exceeds that, fantastic. But my expectations for him can't be that he's going to be a Cy Young Award winner, or at least not a, a vote getter at this point in time. Right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, for Believe It or Not. Last one for you guys. Believe it or not, the Cardinals would be better off bringing in a big money pitcher next year than one of the big name shortstops. I don't believe that. I think I would rather see them um, focus their resources, their attention on on making the offense better. Because if we, as we've talked about, you see guys coming, right? We, we, we just talked about Matthew Libertor. Zach Thompson's having a, a rough season at AAA. Good arm, though. Left-handed pitcher. How, how long does he have to get hot before they start becoming intrigued by him? Um, you've got Dakota Hudson returning. I don't think they need to get a frontline starting pitcher if we, at least if we assume that there's nothing catastrophically wrong with Jack Flaherty's shoulder and it's just a little bit of soreness and they're going to shut him down this season. If we assume that, to me, I, I don't see any reason to uh, acquire a frontline. Just, just re-sign Adam Wainwright, maybe get a depth starter, possibly two, um, and, 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 and count on your farm system. That That's what they're there for. Yeah, I, I'm with you because I, I believe you have to go in and improve the middle of the infield somehow this offseason because if you don't bring it someone to whether it be at second base or shortstop I just think that's a huge mistake because you look at the up the middle now and it, it's really been the number one thing in my opinion that's slowed down the Cardinals that's why Paul DeYoung was number one on my most important Cardinals heading into the season was that's the position where you want to see some pop he didn't provide it he has struggled Tommy Edmond, I love him as a player, but he's probably a super utility guy, not so much an everyday second baseman, so it has to be up the middle for me. So the best options on the market going into next year are Kevin Gossman, Max Scherzer, Carlos Rodon, Marcus Stroman, Justin Verlander, Charlie Morton. Those are kind of the guys that Drew Smiley maybe you could put up there as well. With the exception of Max Scherzer, none of those guys to me stands out as a lock to be dominant. You know, Marcus Stroman's having a great year, but you know, a couple years ago, what what did his numbers look like? I, I do not, I'm I'm not buying this. I think that it makes much more sense for them to add to the offense. If you're looking at, at the end of the year, you can make an explanation, not an excuse, an explanation as to why this pitching staff didn't get it done. It's the injuries. They got, they got hurt. I don't have an excuse or an explanation for the offense. Unless you just say, yeah, they need to upgrade there. And so for me, it makes a lot more sense to upgrade offensively as one of the shortstops. We talked about Castellanos, whoever the guy is that you love in this market, J.D. Martinez, if he becomes available, whoever that player is, they got to upgrade this offense. So if you have to decide between one big market or big ticket item, pitching versus offense, I'm siding towards the offense for this team. It is 1248. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in 15 minutes or so for the Cardinals to make a run. They're going to need more out of Miles Michaelis and what we saw last night. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, time to the jun- for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Back to BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll tell you realistic expectations for the local college football teams. But right now, I was listening to the fast lane yesterday, and Brad Thompson, I thought, made an outstanding point 
about what the Cardinals need from one of their starters in particular. Here's what it sounded like. Miles Michaelis is the guy that I end up looking at and say, I need to be able to trust you. Like, Mm -hmm. you're the guy that needs to be able to carry the freight for me. And I think that he can do it. Where he's at right now, only throwing two games this year, that should be an advantage. Right. It should be he is getting hot at the time where, where, where everybody else is getting tired. But I thought the same darn thing about Jack Flaherty, and then Jack Flaherty goes out with a shoulder when it was the oblique that he was on the IL for. Jack, Jack is hurt now, and so who fills into that spot as your number two starter? It's Miles Michaelis. Mm-hmm. At the moment, Michaelis should be your number two starter. So <laughs> Not even need, close. You need more out of yeah. him than what you got last night. He gave you four and a third, eight hits allowed, three earned runs. That's a fine start. Mm-hmm. If that's what a guy like um, Wade LeBlanc gave you previously or John Lester gave you, you'd be like, all right, yeah, that's kind of what I expect out of them. You're going to need more than that for Miles Michaelis because yesterday was the 40th time this season in which a Cardinal starting pitcher went less than five innings. Less than five innings 40 times so far this year. If you include the five-inning starts where it's a five-and-dive type of start, it's happened 68 times so far this year for the Cardinals. It's more than half of their games. They're getting five innings or fewer from their starting pitchers. They need Michaelis to reverse that trend Mm -hmm. for their number two starter. And down the stretch, I'm with BT. They need him to give you consistently quality starts. Six innings, three earned runs or less. If he can do that because it helps your bullpen so much and it has that a little bit of the snowball effect where the next day you've got more guys that are available, that's the kind of thing they're going to need if they have any chance of getting back into this wild card race. Yeah, and if you look at you know Miles Michaelis's traits as a pitcher, he's a guy who should get you deep into games, right? Start with you know what he looks like. He's six five, two fifty. He's mm-hmm. built. You know he's stacked. He's a big, strong guy. He's in great shape. He should have the stamina to get you deep into games. He is an extreme strike thrower. Most seasons when he's on, he throws as many strikes as anybody in baseball. I think in 2018, he threw a higher percentage of strikes than anybody in baseball. So command is not an issue. Um, He's in the prime of his career. He's 32 years old. When he signed that deal, he was 29. So everything you look at with this guy tells you he should be able to take you deep into games. And Brad Thompson's 100% right. He's the other high-priced veteran in that rotation along with Adam Wainwright. Those are the guys who you're paying who are on the hook to, to get you deep into games. Adam Wainwright can't do it alone. They need those two veterans to kind of carry this. The other guys are at the tail end of their career. Um, I'm sorry. I know, you know, John Lester actually and, and Jay Happ, they're not necessarily older than Adam Wainwright, but they're not pitching as well. So, those guys are not going to be the ones you rely on. You got them midseason. Absolutely. He's the guy you're you're hitching your wagon to. I, again, I, I mentioned some of the – I thought he was getting squeezed a little bit early last night. I thought that was part of the factor. I do think he's going to be fine, but he needs to be better than fine. He needs to be very, very good in these last, whatever, six or seven starts he's going to get. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. He's going to have to – and I know that's tough to say on him, a guy that's missed basically a year and a half to say, all right, we need you to go out there and be a number two. We need it right now. But if you're going to make the playoffs, that's what you need. And and I don't think that's unfair expectations for Miles Michaelis, a guy that has proven that he can be that kind of pitcher. You look at 2018, he was really good. 2019, his ERA jumped up, and I think he went from leading the majors in wins to leading the majors in losses. But who, you don't really look at that. His ERA jumped to a four, but he was still an innings guy that you could rely on. And that's what the Cardinals are going to need because you're not going to get these long outings, in theory, from a Jay Happ, a John Lester, 
uh, KK because they announced he's going to take uh, Flaherty's spot. They do spot. not want him going three times through. Exactly. An order. Yeah. So he's going to have to step up. And if you're going to make that playoff push, and we talked about it yesterday, if you go to an NLDS. If Wayno starts the wild card game, then who the heck is going to start game one of that series? It needs to be Michaelis. It's it needs to be, be a no contest, and they at that point they know our guy is Miles Michaelis. Like that needs to be what ends up being the case, but it, he just hasn't pitched that way yet. And not only that, BT brought up a good point yesterday in the fast lane too that I didn't even think about. You may have to work the rotation if it comes down to this wild card spot to where you have to throw flare or throw a Wayno to get into the wild card. Yeah. And if that's the case, who's going to be that guy that starts the wild card game? You need it to be Miles Michaelis. You can't go, all right, yeah, we're going to go to John Lester for the wild card game. The other yeah, thing- you don't have to reach too far back either to see that scenario playing out because when it happened in 2019, right? Flaherty had to pitch at the end of the season for the Cardinals to get in. And then, and then you know, Miles Michaelis started game one against the Braves, pitched pretty well. They didn't win that one. Um, but uh, or actually, not, not I'm blanking. Did they win game one in 2019? NLDS? I can't remember at this point. I know he had a had a double in that game off of Keiko, but um, he ended up starting the first game of that playoff series. So that's exactly the scenario you're talking about, Tanner. Yeah, they ended up winning game one, uh, seven six. Okay. So the other thing about Miles Michaelis, you need him for next year too. Mm-hmm. Like oh. that. That's the uh, you want to see some positive indicators mm-hmm. that are like okay. He's healthy. He mm-hmm. looks good. He looks like the guy that we we signed to that extension a couple of years ago now. And if he ends up being that, it gives you a lot more faith going into the offseason that you don't necessarily need to go sign the veteran who's going to give you 180 innings because you have a belief that Miles Michaelis can be that veteran that gives you 180 innings next year. And this is the, the follow-up that I wanted to talk with you guys about a little bit. If the Cardinals don't, get back into contention and things go the way that I kind of fear that they will over the next few weeks after this Pittsburgh series, you've got three at Cincinnati, three at Milwaukee, and then you come back home for a homestand against the Dodgers and the Reds. You very well could be done in the playoff race by the end of that stretch. And it's September 12th. And you've still got three more weeks left in the season Mm -hmm. with very little to really play for. Realistically, Mm -hmm. if that's the case, what do you want to see? Like what, what are the things that they could set in motion that you would say, okay, this is interesting, not just for the here and now, but since this is really, we're playing for 2022, is there anything in particular? Do you want to see everyday opportunities for Edmundo Sosa? Do you want to see them maybe give a um, opener start, if you will, to Alex Reyes? What are some of the things that they could do creatively that would get you excited about what this team can be for 2022 well you already raised one of them and that is to to be assured that miles michaelis is going to be healthy for 2022 because <clears throat> i i hate to be the pessimist but it, it it's not unheard of that a, a flexor tendon in your elbow ends up leading to a ucl injury in your elbow we've seen that multiple times right if that ends up being the case and he's shut down maybe you get an indication of some fraying or whatever this year. So getting knowing that he's healthy would be important. Seeing Dakota Hudson, I think that that would be important. If he can make a couple relief relief outings and show you that he's got still got that live arm, he feels good, recovers well, that would be important. Um I think I would make I think what I would do if I were the Cardinals in that situation, I'd I'd probably do the opposite of what you said. I'd I'd play Paul DeYoung every day. I would play Paul DeYoung Every day from that moment on, I'd give him three weeks. If he can get hot, show me he can still hit, 
I think maybe differently about next season. Hmm. If he stays somewhat at the range he's at now, I know he's not an everyday solution for me. It's just been too long since he's hit well. So those are a couple things. And then I already mentioned this. I still do the September call-up for Matthew Libertor. I want to see, can I count on you next year? Are you ready for this? Do you have the stuff to get out major leaguers? Are you ready for it mentally? He's a 21-year-old guy. But with that high end of a, of a talent, you know, find out. It's evaluation time. So I'd like to see that. And then potentially even Nolan Gorman, same thing, exactly the same scenario. Can I count on you as a power bat, lefty power bat, somewhere in my lineup? Doesn't, you know... The defense to me is less important, to other, you know, rather than seeing can he hit at this level. So those are the things I would like to see them look at. I'm with you on all those. The one that I'm going to differ with you is the is the DeYoung one. I feel like I know what I have in Paul DeYoung. It's been basically two years. I would see what Sosa is like as an everyday shortstop, and and part of that too is even though yeah you are falling out of it, I still want to try and win. Even though I am out of it, it's not like we're playing for a draft pick. It's not like we're trying to get down as low as we can. You're going to be middle of the pack anyways. So I want to see Sosa out there. I want to see he's got a great glove. He is playing great. He's hitting above 300 in the month of August. I just feel like I know what I have in Paul DeYoung, and I think it's a mistake to continue to say, what do we have, what do we have? I would like to see him. And also, one more that I would add to this, I want to see Newport get some starts against right-handed pitching and see Bader go to the bench for it. I want to see if Newport could be my fourth left-handed bat outfielder for, let's say, the final three weeks of a year. I think that's definitely worthy of consideration. That was one guy that I was going to focus on was Lars Newtbar getting more opportunities in the outfield. See what he is defensively, too, because there's been moments where it looks really good and other moments where it looks not so good with Lars Newtbar out there. It's just a simple mistake. It's not hitting the cutoff, man, which I saw over the weekend when they played Pittsburgh. And there's been some adventurous routes and stuff like that. And he's young, it right? It's cool it, to watch him with his tongue out. Oh, he's he's <laughs> like a dog getting the ball. He's a perfectly... So far, fine outfielder, but can he be more than that? Let's find out over the next few weeks at at that point in time. Um, The other thing that I would like to see from them is you mentioned bringing up Matthew Libertor. Let's see Nolan Gorman. Mm -hmm. See Nolan Gorman. Mm -hmm. Every time you're playing a right-handed pitcher, let's see him at second base because I think that very well could be the setup going into 2022. And if it is... Getting two, maybe three weeks of results from him at the big league level, whether it's good or bad. If it's bad, I think you mentioned this on Wednesday. Well, let's find out what those adjustments are going to need to be. And he can work on that in the offseason. He's, he's done a lot of the stuff, as you mentioned, with the virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So he can just f- specifically focus on, okay, they're really getting me with the breaking ball. I'll look at the 10 best breaking balls in the sport, and that's what I'm going to try to hit against all offseason. And then next year, if they try that same approach against me, I'm going to start crushing those things. And now they're going to have to throw the fastball against me, and this is what we've seen from Dylan Carlson, totally changed him at the plate this year. Struggled against it last year. He made an adjustment later on in the season, and this year he's done very well. So I'd like to see both of those guys up the rest of this season. If things go south for them and you've got two or three weeks at the end of the year where you're not playing for a wild card, but you're playing for, let's see what we've got in 2022. Those would be the two guys that I would want to see. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're going to play a game of one got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, college football is officially back. Tomorrow, Illinois is officially in action. Next weekend, Mizzou is back in action. What are the realistic expectations for both teams? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
College football is officially back tomorrow. Nebraska versus Illinois at Illinois. It's a noon kickoff. Big noon kickoff on Fox. Uh, Can't wait for this one. That means I can start drinking at nine, right? And with that. Uh, and that's your usual Saturday, isn't it? With How Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Okay, you got me there, Saxy. Let's talk a little bit about the expectations for Illinois, for Mizzou, for the local football teams, because I think this is a fascinating season for the Illini. I think oh, Illinois, Illinois in a lot of ways <laughs> is in the spot where Mizzou was a year ago. There is a little bit of buzz taking place in Champaign because of the Brett Bielema hire. Now, I know there are some that are down on it because Bielema flamed out at Arkansas, but there are others that will point to the success that he had in the Big Ten and say, hey, it's not a bad hire. It might work. And at a minimum, I think he can be a guy that gets them to seven and five, six and six consistently. And for where the program has been in recent years, that's a hell of a place to start. So they open up against Nebraska and it's hard to call anything a must win in this stage of their building process. But for them to have any sort of a momentum this year, it almost feels kind of like a must win to me. The reason why I say that is because Nebraska is not a great program. They're not in a good spot right now. Uh, Scott Frost is not working out the way that anybody expected him to at Nebraska. If you can get a win there against a Big Ten opponent, they beat them last year. Maybe you're able to sustain a little bit of that momentum. You go up against UTSA in week two. You should start the year 2-0 and at that point in time. That could get some Illinois fans that previously weren't on board with this on board and that's what you need early in a tenure for one of these coaches just get more buy-in early in the process and if you lose week one right off of the bat especially if it's some kind of blowout that's where you start losing people from the bandwagon very quickly yeah i could see that i mean who's not excited for the season right first game um they didn't just beat Nebraska last year. That was that game was in Lincoln, Nebraska. They won 41-23. That, yep. that may have been the highlight of the season. Um, I definitely like Illinois with the points at home. Um, don't know beyond that whether they'll win, but you're right. I mean, if for a program that's sort of teetering as they are and trying to build momentum, this is a huge game because a lot of that positive momentum, it just doesn't happen if you can't beat this team. Yeah, and, and I am a little excited with the hiring. I thought the hiring was good, had the success in the Big Ten in the past, and I'm with you guys 100%. You can start to build momentum. Last year, I looked at uh, looking at their schedule, yeah, they went 2-6. and six. Last year, you kind of felt like that was that year for Lovey Smith that they take kind of the next step. I'm not saying they were going to win the Big Ten or anything like that. And then they come out. They're at number fourteen, Wisconsin. I got excited for the game. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, they're gonna they're gonna compete. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. Oh, you know, I thought, <laughs> that was I your thought, first mistake. I, okay, maybe it was, but I was like, I, I think they can compete. And they go out and they lay an egg. Yeah. They were terrible offensively. I, I like Illinois in this one against Nebraska. I think they can. I think they can beat them and then build that momentum. I think they could honestly beat Virginia in week three. They were five and five last year. They were just your mediocre ACC team. I think they have a chance against them, but I'm with you. It all starts with week one, and it's going to start with protecting the quarterback. That has been the bugaboo for Illinois in the last couple of years. Yeah, you got to be better there. Uh, Illinois, the last time they were above 500 in an individual season when the season ended was 2011. So if you can get to six and six this year, if you're Brett Bielema, and it's going to be a high ta- a high bar to clear, it's going to be difficult. But if he can find a way to do that, get them back to a bowl game, get them back to respectability, that's the first step. 
And you can recruit off of that if you're Brett Bielema. Hey, listen, you can come be a part of something. You're on the ground floor. This is what Drinkwitz did, right? He, he goes 5-5 five and five last year. He gets recruits to be excited about it. And you're starting to build momentum as a program. You need that. And if Bielema is able to do that this year, I think that's all you can ask for as an Illinois fan is just get to respectability again. Get back to where people don't look at your program and say, <laughs> Illinois, yeah, that's a win. Just write that down as a W. When you're when you're another program right now in the Big Ten, you look at Illinois, you just assume, yeah, W on the schedule right next to them once you get the schedule at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I, I think expectations for me heading into this year, six wins is going to be very difficult. That's why I'm going to hold it around five. I think that's where I'm going to sit because like I'm looking at their six schedule. Six is a good season. Five is a fine season. Four would maybe a be a little disappointing. Because I look at their schedule now, UTSA should be a win, and then you've got Charlotte. That should be a win. Rutgers should be a win. So there's three. Now, where's the other three coming from? Nebraska. Nebraska should probably be another. And then you look at maybe it's Virginia. Maybe it's on the road to Purdue. Minnesota, Northwestern, they're not ranked now, but those two teams were pretty good last year. I'm not going to count that as two wins. I think those teams are going to be better as the season improves. So it's going to come down to possibly whether it's Minnesota or Northwestern, where's that other win coming from? It might come from one of those two. I think Northwestern would probably be the one that I I would point to because – Minnesota might be a little tough, especially on the road. That's going to be a tough game for them. Northwestern gets fired up for that game, though. That's their quote-unquote big rivalry. I know. I know. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think 5-7 and seven is probably the expectation for what should be considered a, a solid season for Illinois this year. All right, on the other side of things, Mizzou is not in action this weekend. They're waiting until next weekend to get their, their season started. This is technically week zero. That's what they're calling it, college football, whatever. It's the first week of the season. Next week's when Mizzou plays for the first time. And they're interesting as well for a lot of different reasons. It's now year two year two of the program for Eli Drinkwitz. And recruiting-wise, it's been everything you could ask for as a Missouri fan and then some. We talked to Gabe DeArmond yesterday, and he said something that I tend to agree with. They went 5-5 five and five last year, but talent-wise, the way that they played, that's more of a 3-7 and seven type of a team that mm-hmm. we saw a year ago. If they can go 7-5, and 8-4, and four, I think that would show signs of marked improvement going into year three of his system. So you want to see the quarterback take a step in Connor Bazelak. You want to see the defense under a new defensive coordinator. Now, by the way, Ryan Walters, who's now at Illinois, was previously with Mizzou. I think he's going to do pretty well at Illinois. You want Steve Wilkes to come in and show some signs of being able to adapt to the college game immediately after being in the NFL for so long. But I I think it all starts with that game at Kentucky. They start out next week against Central Michigan. That has to be a win. You you have to win that game. Kentucky has always been the swing game for Mizzou since getting Mm -hmm. into the SEC. If you're able to win that one, you have a real shot to be able to create that momentum that we're talking about again. You beat SEMO. Then you got a tough one at Boston College. But if you could start 4-0, that's when people get really excited about what this program could be. Yeah, I think realistically, you talked about getting back to that SEC championship. This is probably not, that's probably a little bit, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses to think that they would have that that capability, yep. given what is in the conference right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we talked to Adam, Adam Rittenberg, a ESPN college football analyst on Wednesday, and, and he said, in his opinion, Drinkwitz is just as good a game coach as he is a recruiter. So we're going to find out, right? I mean, we're going to find out if their schemes are interesting, if they're adjusting in-game, if if they can work, get that quarterback better, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, that I mean, that you can... 
basically football boils down to whether your quarterbacks can get you there. Right. I mean, it's just what it is. And so if all those things are true, it's could be a really exciting, you know, step forward for Mizzou. And that's that's always fun around here when they're there's something we can talk about in addition to maybe you know, a disappointing Cardinals yeah. team and some other things. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be great if Missouri got on a run, and I, I, I feel good about it with this guy. Good teams win, great teams cover, right? Red Saxy, <laughs> that's how this goes. Mizzou is a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite against Central Michigan in Week 1. They need to cover that spread. That seems kind of low, actually. Central Michigan's a, a solid group is of five teams. Is that Anthony Stalter's uh, alma mater, by the way? Fire them up okay. chips. The, the one and only. They need to win that game by at least 14 points. If you're going to feel good about this season, unless it's like a late so they have to cover garbage time. Yeah, they, okay, they need to win. They need to, they need to cover that game um, if they're going to have the success that I think is possible this year. They definitely have some holes, but they did a really good job recruiting with some grad transfers and stuff to patch that over. So I think if, if we're realistically talking – the the bare minimum for both teams, I think Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou needs to go seven and five. I think you need at least four wins, probably closer to five, to feel good about what Illinois did this season. And if you could get six at Illinois and eight at Mizzou, those are pretty darn good seasons for the local teams. I think that's kind of where the expectation should be set going into this year. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, you give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. It's time for One Gotta Go on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. go 65780 is the air comfort service text line you give us four options we will tell you which one's got to go sexy is this your first time ever playing one gotta i'm a little go? nervous so i'm gonna I listen carefully great. to these rules all right i will tell you four options okay you get to keep three of them okay one of them has to get up out of that okay. category okay? okay we'll start with this one one gotta go musician edition cardi b megan the stallion Nicki Minaj or Ariana Grande? Cardi B, Megan the Stallion, Nicki Minaj or Ariana Grande. Tanner, we'll start with you. Which one's got to go? I won't lie. I don't listen to them. I'm stunned. Stunned to hear that you're not listening to Megan the Stallion on the way home. What town in Illinois are you from again, Sadie? Olney, Illinois. Olney. That's country. That's country for sure down there. Uh, Who's the one that had the weird performance on Cardi B and Megan the Stallion? Yeah. WAP. Wow, and that's Not isn't that and it's it's under the title of Cardi B, right? It's both of them, but yeah, I'll get rid of Cardi B. What? See ya. <laughs> what? Oh, she's Sorry. the most talented one, dude. Sorry. I'm definitely getting rid of Ariana Grande. Absolutely, <laughs> this is a no-brainer. Oh, it's that easy? Absolutely. Oh. Ariana Grande does not deserve to be in the same category as Cardi B, Megan The Stallion, and Nicki Minaj. This is not difficult at all. All I know is none of them top Frank Sinatra. Boy, you're really up to date with your musical. I try my what best. You, I mean, you weren't even alive when the guy died. Like, how are you a Frank Sinatra fan? Uh, I I don't know why. Just one day when my you buddy like, was playing it, and he's like, oh, I love like this song. All blue Tanner eyes. and Anthony Stalter both <laughs> came out of the womb drinking a whiskey and yeah. smoking a cigar. Look, I'm I don't mind Frank it. at all. I'll listen to Frank. I love Frank. I mean, he's the he's the... 
He's the grave chairman of the board, but I mean, I, I wouldn't expect you, Tanner. He's the chairman a, of the it's board. It's such a tender age to have been a Frank Sinatra fan. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One Gotta Go. You give us four options, we'll tell you which one's gotta go. One Gotta Go for the Cardinals next season. Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, or Mike Schiltz? Uh, One's got to go. Who's Which putting one these are out there? These, these are, these these are, are listeners. Text lines. Yeah. That's rough. Tanner, yeah. I'll start with you. Keep it on, Tanner. Just I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna stick with, I'm gonna <laughs> stick with Yachty at catcher. I'm gonna stick with Wayno. I gotta stick with Flaherty. I mean, you're gonna be in a winning window. So, sorry, Shilty. I, I, I gotta get rid of you. Uh, and it's not that I have anything against Mike Schilt. It's just. We, yeah, those we are the talked four. about you it. You have to get rid of yeah, one. Yeah, we, we've talked about it's it. Difficult what, options. Managers don't have that big of an influence on a game as much anymore as the players do. Like you get rid of one of those three players that are listed, it's a whole different ball game for the Cardinals. So sorry, Schulte, I got to get rid of you. So obviously, it's not Flaherty. You're not going to. That's no. your best pitcher. You're you're banking on him. You're building around him. Um, not Yadier Molina because they just re-signed him. So that leaves two. It's either Adam Wainwright or Mike Schilt. I think they could survive without either one. I know that's going to sound sort of startling because Wainwright has been so good. But um, you don't know what's going to happen next year. And some other guys are going to be healthy. But, yeah, I mean, of course, if you're choosing a player or a manager, you're going to choose the manager. He's, he's got to go. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm with you guys. This one's not difficult. And it's not a shot at Mike Schilt. But if you're telling Brandon. me, hey. <laughs> If you're telling me you get to keep your franchise catcher, you get to keep your franchise icon pitcher, or you get to keep the guy that is going to be your franchise pitcher, or you can keep the manager. Yeah, I I tend to believe in general managers don't make a significant difference, most of them at least, in one way or the other. I think there's like five really good ones and five really bad ones that will significantly alter the course of your season one way or the other. And the other 20 are kind of in the middle. They might add a game or two. They might subtract a game or two, depending on some decisions that they make over the course of the year. But in general, I think they're all kind of right there in the middle, as long as they're adequate. So I would go Schilt here because I think the other guys make a bigger difference over the course of the season. All right. One's got to go French fry edition. McDonald's, Steak and Shake, Wendy's or Five Guys? Mickey D's, Steak and Shake, Wendy's or Five Guys? Which French fry has to go? Who's going first? You want to go? Sexy? Go. Yeah, I, I'm an expert in this now because I, all <laughs> I do is drive my kids to their baseball practices and stuff. We're always stopping at these fast food joints. Five Guys has off the charts fries. That's in. That's in the Hall of Fame for me. Their, their fries are in the Hall of Fame. I'm with you McDonald's there. fries are in the Hall of Fame. Out. So what are we down to? Steak and Shake. And what was the other one? Five Guys? No. Wendy's? Was, was there Wendy's. Wendy's? Wendy's are... Wendy's used to be trash. Now they're pretty good. Are they? See, that back in the day, they were not good. Okay, I don't know Wendy's fries. Steak and Shake, they're the little skinny, greasy Mm -hmm. ones. There's still steak and shake. I grew up on them. Yeah, there's some. There's barely. Far between. You know what the new steak and shake is? Is Freddy's. They they basically have the same menu, but they're. You know, steak and shakes, half of them are closed, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I'll throw, I'm going to throw out Wendy's. I think I'm with you. I'm getting rid of, I love the steak and shake fries, McDonald's Hall of Fame, Five Guys Hall of Fame. Five Wendy's. Guys are tremendous, yeah. and they throw oh, them into your so bag good. as well. Oh, yeah. so good. As long as they don't oversalt them, because they leave some skin on. I like yeah. that. True. Wind, Wendy's, they're better, but I don't know if they surpass those three. So steak I got to get rid of them. Steak and shake got to go. Not enough. 
Not a, not enough surface area for me. I, you need I, more. Yeah, I for need the something, salt, for, something the for the salt to dip. You know. Yeah, I need oh, okay. it for the dipping. You're a ketchup guy with your fries. I'm a, I'm a hot sauce guy. Remember, ah, and it's very it, difficult to get a whole lot of hot sauce yeah. when you've got this little thing that's yeah, the size terrible. of my shoestrings yeah. uh, to dip in. And you got to go like 20 at once to, yeah, it's just so no you're good. dipping into the hot sauce and then you're washing it down with a flaming hot Mountain Dew. Naturally. Right? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's my go-to. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for One's gotta go. One gotta go. Pick one career, and if you pick it, it will have never taken place. Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Albert Pujols. You gotta get rid of one, and their career, if you pick them, had never taken place. God, that's a very specific kind of. This is easy for me. Somewhat mean question. Get rid of Tom Brady. Well, I'm a fan of the he, Chiefs. Oh, uh, that dude crushed my team. Yeah, but it's for so special to watch him do that. Kind of annoying. Like it, I, uh, I find myself really liking Tom Brady. You do? It's, it's so disappointing. Now I do too because of like he got trashed at the uh, celebration and stuff. Yeah. I, he's loosened up a little bit, so I like him more. Kind of like Tom Brady now. Did you see the thing he did on? I, I don't remember which site it was but he did it on social media this was a few weeks ago now he was making fun of himself for forgetting the fourth down thing remember uh, against the yeah. bears when he thought that there was three down yes. he thought it was third down and it was fourth he, he had a little fun oh, at his own at, expense was it at That's the good. white house is that where he did it i don't think so I, I think it was just on social media but you can't throw tiger woods out because change the sport yeah exactly he, he was Jack you can't Michael. throw albert out because we live in st louis yeah all right give me the fourth it's, we're all gonna michael jordan him. Ooh, oh, God, I can't do that. That was like my, come on, man. Uh, I'll throw Brady out just because, you know, I have no emotional attachment to the New England Patriots. They, they got on my yeah. nerves for being so good all those years. And St. Louis would have another Super Bowl. There you go. Throw it out. Get out of here, Tom. I'm not, I'm not throwing out Tom Brady because his career's been remarkable. And same with Jordan and same with Albert. I can't throw Albert out. A, we're in St. Louis, but B, if I don't watch Albert Pujols, I'm not standing here today talking about baseball. I'm throwing out Tiger. It's not a top five major sport. It, I don't even think it ever really was when it was. Only when he played. Then. Yeah. In his prime. You know, in his prime I, I'm sorry, Tiger. And I love Tiger, but I'm going to get rid of his career. That's ridiculous. That's your worst opinion you've ever had on this show. All right, one's got to go. Rules edition, sports rules edition. The shift in baseball, fighting in hockey, NFL overtime rules, or bowl games in college. The shift in baseball, fighting in hockey, NFL overtime, or bowl games in college football. Which one's got to go? Tanner, we'll start with you. So I'm keeping the shift because learn to hit the freaking ball the other way. Uh, as, as Benji would as say, as Benji would say, no more freaking excuses. Um, let's see. Fighting's awesome in hockey, so that's got to stay. I'm not a fan of NFL's overtime rules, but I, some of the bowl games that we watch are just ridiculous. And look, Illinois is never going to be in the college football playoff, so this is a guy that's speaking from bowl game experience. I could care less to watch the cheese it Bowl that's between, like, sorry. Oh, that's stalls. an annual classic. <laughs> okay, fine. That's a wrong one. Some bowl that I don't even know the name of because of some Go company I've never heard. Bowl. There we go. The GoDaddy.com Bowl between <laughs> Central Michigan, sorry, Stalts, and whoever the other small school is this playing. West I, I Louisiana Tech. Yeah, I could care less What's to see Boca Raton Bowl called now? They have oh, some I don't know. There's some good ones. That. I, I could care less for bowl games. I want to watch the college football playoff. That's why I'm a fan of expanding it. Even if those teams are going to get wiped by Alabama. So what? That actually means something compared to a bowl that's full of Cheez-Its. 
You're obviously not a gambling man, Tanner, because... Oh, I love to gamble. Okay, Just I could love... Care less. The most wanted, uh, or makers wanted Bahamas Bowl. <laughs> That's right. I love bowl games. I, I don't care if it's two... Oh, yeah, because you can bet yeah, on them. two mediocre Mac teams playing on, like, a Tuesday night in the macaroni and cheese bowl, whatever it is. I got action on it. I'm glued to it. I love bowl games. This one's so easy for me because I would get rid of it in a heartbeat, and that's the shift. I hate the shift. I think it's made the game incredibly. It's killed offense. It's ruined careers. It's it's so easy to legislate. You just say two guys on either side of second base. Nobody stands with their feet in the in the outfield. Done. You're done. So easy to do. Very slight change the game. Much less of a change than, say, starting a runner at second sure. in, in extra innings. So I, I ban the shift even if it, that's not, not an option. So I'm I'm good with two of these. If you wanted to get rid of the shift in baseball or change the NFL's overtime rules, I'm fine with either of those two, but I'm going to go with the NFL's overtime rules. They stink. Let's bring back some fun into the game. College football has a better overtime rule than By the far. NFL. Would you go back to the old sudden death right away? Thing. I, I don't like that because I like the team to have have a chance. Yeah, I, I prefer the route that they're going now, mm. but I vastly prefer college football's rules mm. to the NFL. Now, the tough part, and so you put it at the twenty-five. Sure, okay. And you know, I, I might even do it for the from the forty mm. because the NFL is more further. likely to mm. to score. Um, you know this in college football. The tough part is. If you go into overtime in college football, the over is hitting oh, 100% oh, of the yeah. time. And it might just not go just go over. Yeah. It's going way over. That's what you're rooting for if you have the over and you're getting pounded. Just, just tie it. 10-10, I don't care. If you're the NFL, something that you'd probably have to do is you don't count that in the official stats as well because it would totally skew all of the numbers. Yeah. Because if you've got like the Chiefs versus the Bills next year goes into five overtimes and Mahomes and Josh Allen each throw 2,000 yards. Yeah, they throw five (laughs) extra touchdowns in that game. It's going to completely alter the record books forever. Not that the numbers matter all that much in the NFL compared to Major League Baseball, Mm -hmm. but that's something they'd have to take care of. I would go with the NFL's overtime rules. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks for you guys listening to the show today. Uh, before we get into the crossover on the other side, we want to tell you that you can join 101's Bomberito Street Fleet this Friday. So tonight from 6 to 8 o'clock at Hot Shots South County for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's a free-to-play indoor golf game where you can score prizes in Michelob Ultra Sweat. Plus, your chance to win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup. Don't miss out tonight, 6 to 8 o'clock. Getting emotional thinking about it. With 101 ESPN at the Hot Shots in South County. Get all the details on the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101ESPN.com. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane and give you a chance to win a couple uh, tickets to a concert coming up next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Fastland, we've got a former NHL superstar defenseman in studio with us. We'll get to him here in just a second. But right now, we've got your chance to win a free pair of tickets to Dead & Company. It's coming up on September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets are on sale now. You can find a bonus chance to win 
tickets for Dead & Company right now at 101ESPN.com and on the 101 mobile app. You can do that over there, or you could just text in right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number 101, that's texter number 101, and you can tell us which company, it's a drink company, is coming out with a new drink that is um which one was it the uh flaming hot. hot flavor if you can tell us which company's coming out with a wow. flaming hot flavor drink uh you'll be the 101st texter and you will win a pair of tickets to see dead and company. what drink is that bk i'll tell you here in about oh, five okay. minutes Jamie, what's coming up today on the fast lane? Man, well, I'm looking forward to hearing your guys' show. Yeah, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about the Cardinals' recent success against below 500 teams. Okay, um, or Wh- lack what success or against? lack thereof. Oh. Sexy. Uh, we're gonna talk to Matt Holiday. That's always a treat. So okay. no matter what the problem is in Cardinal Nation, we get Matt Holiday on. We have a good time. We have some laughs, and he usually sheds some light on some things for us. And we're just going to have a fun Friday. We're going to mix it up, and uh, we're going to do our thing. Jamie, did you hear Benji with us today? I did not. How is Benji doing? Benji's mm. doing well. Yeah. We asked him if he thinks his brother's going to retire after next year. Oh, no. What did he, he Oh, what did he say? <laughs> did he just laugh? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. He yeah. basically said, ah, I think he should keep playing. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. Well, well, what's the, all right. So the old thing in baseball would be like, they got to pull the uniform. You know, they got to strip the uniform off. Yeah. I'm going to play as long as they're going to pay me. Like, wh- is that kind of the same um, when you're a professional hockey player? Has got that kind of the same mentality you want to have? For the most part, some guys, you know, are obviously very successful and they make a lot of money and they look at it and go, yeah, you know, I'm done. Right. Okay. You want to be with it. But you can be with your family in two years. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. But Yachty's played forever. So I don't know what, what his deal is. Uh, but if he's able to keep playing, I'm sure he'd want to. That's just the competitor in mm-hmm. him. Some guys are wired that way. Right. And, you know, Benji probably giggling away, saying, oh, yeah, one-year deal, this is it. He goes, I, you know, probably not surprised if he tried to get one more at it on the yeah. tail end. We'll see. I think it's going to be interesting uh, for sure. I Look, I have nothing but respect for Yachty, and if he decides to play another year or two or seven, who knows what's going to happen there. He deserves to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, I think the Cardinals would very much prefer him to make the decision that next year is his final Oh, year. there's no doubt. Like, yeah. I think next year could be uh, or should be and will be his last as a Cardinal. That's what I said earlier. I think if it yeah. goes beyond that, I think John Mosellock probably turns and says, hey, Yachty, we had a great talk. Right. We talked about the one last year. We're moving in a different direction. If you're going to continue, hey, we give you our full support. We'll send you off a nice little going away prize, you know, but it won't be here in Cardinal Nation. He also yeah. he also said he thinks it would be legendary if they're able to bring Albert Pujols back next year to be sent off with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. So I had that discussion a little bit yesterday with BT, and I'm like, why wouldn't they? Like, if you look at Albert Pujols' numbers this year, and specifically if he's willing to take a lesser role, which mm-hmm. he was to go to the Dodgers, I don't know why he wouldn't to come to the Cardinals. And if they have the DH, which we all think they will mm-hmm. – then you kind of have uh, a bench that you can utilize properly, where if you got Albert hitting from the right side, you got maybe somebody else hitting from the left side, and now you have an actual strategy for opposing pitchers, he could be a big difference maker. I mean, one swing of the bat, and he's still got that power. And if you want to give Paul Goldschmidt a rest at first base, I'm watching Albert play defense. He's still a really good player. He's not a gold glove caliber player. He's not going to be your direct replacement for Paul Goldschmidt. Don't get me wrong, 
But he's also not going to cripple you over there. Like, heck, we've had Max Carpenter at first base this year. Jose Martinez did it at one point in time. (laughs) That that may have been the the rock bottom for defense at first Oh, it was rough. Or anywhere, frankly. With the DH next year, to to your point, uh, Jamie, you could always put Albert at first, and then you could get uh, Goldie a day off from his legs and have him as your DH next year. And they've done that this year. Schilte has tried that with Arenado a couple Mm -hmm. times, even Goldie. Um, yeah, I'm a big. I'm. I, I, I right now I don't see any reason why you wouldn't kick the tires with Albert and say, "Hey, you know what? It's going to be a big year. We got some legendary players that are probably playing in their last year. Let's include you, Albert. Let's make you a big part of this team in different ways mm-hmm. than you have been in the past, and go for it." Saxy, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for filling in for a few days this week while. Uh, Alex Ferrario took off his final vacation before he gets going with the hockey season. Thanks so much for filling in, man. This oh, I loved it. I'm a role player. I'll do whatever the team needs. I'm just, I'm just looking for, you know, to, we, I, we, I just want us to win. A superstar that's willing need, to accept his credit. role. I always appreciate I like it. that. I like it. You're a glue guy, Saxy. Everybody guy. needs yeah. those guys. For Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back with Alex in studio with us on Monday at 11. The Fast Lane's coming up next. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.